Hello friends. A heads up that our discussion of the movie Precious involves content related to physical, verbal, and sexual abuse. Timestamps can be found in the notes of this episode. Listener discretion is advised. Now, this is the moment you've been waiting for. The nominated are for the best motion picture of the year. And from an abundance of excellence, we have nominated. Well, we come now to the final award of the evening. The one for best picture. And here are the nominees for best picture of the year. When we're at the movies, we're not alone. And the Oscar goes to. And the Oscar goes to. This seemed like a better idea in rehearsal. Welcome to Nominated. I'm your host, Haley, and this week my guest is Arbind. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Thank you for joining me, Arbind. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So uh, I let you pick whatever year you wanted. I gave you free reign. And you picked the movies that were released in 2009. The Best Picture nominees of 2009 were The Hurt Locker, Avatar, The Blind Side, District 9, An Education, Inglorious Bastards, Precious, based on the novel Push by Sapphire, A Serious Man, Up, and Up in the Air. Which was quite a group of movies. Yeah, I was like <laughs> super impressed when I randomly chose this year. <laughs> and I was saying to Arvin before we started recording that this was the first year that the, the Academy went back to nominating 10 movies. So there was like <laughs> 50 years of content where it was only five movies. I can't wait to do more of those because 10 movie years are killing me. <laughs> it killed me too I didn't even finish it so <laughs> no that's totally fair yeah <laughs> uh all right so which movie do you want to start with um okay uh why don't we start with Up in the Air it's the first one that I watched out of these yeah sure Up in the Air is an American comedy drama film it was released uh September 5th 2009 at the Telluride Film Festival it was produced by Daniel Dubecki, Jeffrey Clifford, Ivan Reitman, and Jason Reitman Directed by Jason Reitman, screenplay by Jason Reitman and Sheldon Turner, based on Up in the Air by Walter Kern, cinematography by Eric Stielberg, edited by Dana E. Glauberman, and music by Rolf Kent. It runs 109 minutes. It stars George Clooney, Vera Farmiga, Anna Kendrick, Jason Bateman, Amy Morton, Melanie Linsky, Danny McBride, Zach Galifianakis, J.K. Simmons, Sam Elliott, Tamala Jones, Adhir Kailan, Ashton Kutcher. What? <laughs> He's literally in it for like a millisecond. He kisses Anna Kendrick like at the car. Right. Yeah. Yes. He's Brian. <laughs> I was like, I think that's Ashton Kutcher. And then it like never showed him ever again. And it was yeah. like the most panned out shot of him too. It was so weird. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, that that was unexpected. I did <laughs> mm -hmm. not realize he was in there. It was nominated for Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Actor, and Best Supporting Actress. Um, so Best Actor was for Clooney. Best Supporting Actress was both Farmiga and Kendrick. Um, it won no awards at the Academy Awards that year. Won Good. nothing. <laughs> um, uh, so Up in the Air follows the story of a... Um, what, what do they call him? Like a release specialist or something like that? Basically, this guy comes in and fires groups of people when mm -hmm. their bosses don't have the balls to do it. And his job is potentially being phased out to be done entirely online. 
there's a human connection that's missing and then everybody kind of grows he falls in love with the woman that he'd been sleeping with on the road discovers that she has a family and that he's the other man um the intern that he takes along with him decides she doesn't want to do this job anymore so she quits and finds a new job and he reunites with his family so there is like that happiness but he kind of just ends in the same place he was when he started yeah so I mean actually just in the way that you were describing this right now um I liked the symbolism you just used there I mean I don't know if you know that you did that but like he's like with the job changing to like all virtual he's missing that human connection well George Clooney is missing that human connection the entire movie right yeah that's what he finds in this movie um I like to think that, you know, a movie should leave you with some sort of impact or, like, you Mm -hmm. learn something from it. And, like, I think that that's what this movie taught us. Like, it's one of the things, you know? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You can can do a lot of things with the internet. And especially right now, obviously, like, I'm very comfortable with placing this uh, podcast in its time and place. Like, we're still in 2020. Yeah. It – everything is still online. Um, And so – like as much as I talk to people online, it's not the same as having mm-hmm. someone sit on my couch and shoot the shit with me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, and and it does feel inhuman to do things only online. Like watching those training seminars that are like, this is how you terminate someone online. I'm like, that's pretty cold. Like just get a computer to do that. Yeah. And like, I mean, there was that one scene where they were firing somebody and he was like literally in the next room that was yeah. absolutely heartbreaking and like what if he just walked by which he did and looked through the window and saw you guys you know what i mean like yeah it just like feels what? like they, they don't even like they're not worth anything like they're not even worth being in the same room as like to yeah fire. you know what i mean and like, and i mean first of all the the job that they have is very like clinical and cold absolutely like yeah. just to start with Mm-hmm. Um, but at least it's a little better when there's a person in the room who mm-hmm. sees how you're feeling and is able to respond mm-hmm. instead of like that flow chart that Anna Kendrick has. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, honestly, some of the things in this movie, like, I understand, like, everything kind of contributed to, you know, like getting to the end of this movie and, and you know, getting to the, the things that we learned, right? But, like, sometimes I'm just like, what the heck was why did we need Anna Kendrick in this movie? You know what I mean? Like, why? Yeah. You know, like, what did she do? Cool. Like, couldn't well, we she, just go through the whole virtual a, thing without her? <laughs> I think she was us. That was the thing. I think she oh, was, like, Oh, like, that human, fresh... like, the, yeah, just, like... Yeah, like, the person who right. didn't know how the job worked. It was so, so that we around, could... Yeah, yeah so that right. we could get into it. Totally. Mm-hmm. True, okay. Um, I, I'll be honest. This this film, I was kind of like, okay. Yeah, same. Why why is this nominated like it, it's fine 100% the one thing I wouldn't though, have chosen to watch it but. <laughs> yeah same um it was literally just like 80% of the movie was just George Clooney at an airport right like I, I don't yeah. know why we had to watch this right um but I also want to say it was right after the recession and so I thought maybe it was like that was a reason it was so big and and it did touch on all this stuff like firing and how it impacts people's mm-hmm. lives and all that stuff like so I thought maybe just because of its relevance to what was happening in the world maybe yeah. that's why right well, and I will say the majority of films that we watched for this mm-hmm. episode, they were released at um, independent film festivals. Oh, really? Like, there's at least two that were at Sundance. I think there was mm-hmm. one that was Venice, one was Cannes, this one was Telluride. Like, they were not big theatrical releases. So I, yeah. I think there was a push from the Academy 
um, to try and pick independent films so that it's not like, oh, we're only picking the Hollywood blockbusters. Right. right. Because this, I, I actually remember this um, Academy Awards quite well because I remember Catherine Bigelow winning Best Director and then Best Picture back to back. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I remember this was the year that I was like, you're trying to make it seem like you're hip and connected, but you're not mm-hmm. doing a good job of it. So that's what I think mm-hmm. a lot of this came from. And I mean, there's there's a line where it's like a lot of movies get nominated because they have big names behind them. Mm-hmm. And I think that was part of it. So they're like, <laughs> oh, this was this was released at Telluride, but it's got George Clooney. Mm-hmm. It's got like mm-hmm. all of these big names that we know associated with it. So why don't we nominate it? Right, right. Yeah, I don't think it was in the running in my mind for best yeah. picture for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it like there's there's nothing in this movie that makes it stand out. It's not like it's filmed in a particularly interesting way. Mm-hmm. Um the music is blah. Yeah. Like it's just even it's, listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's yeah. it's like sound score music. So it's kind of like yeah. oh. But which is a little bit disappointing because like it has a lot of potential, but mm. what can you do? <laughs> anything else you want to say about up in the air nah not really that's fair <laughs> um let's move on to precious because that just happens to be the one that's on my notebook right so precious i didn't rewatch it this time but i've i saw it like probably six or seven years ago yeah um so you you remember yeah, it i remember it well enough i think yeah yeah so Precious is a drama film. It was released January 15th, 2009 at the Sundance Film Festival. It was produced by Lee Daniels, Gary Magnus, Sarah Siegel Magnus, Oprah Winfrey, Tom Heller, Tyler Perry, and Lisa Cortez. Directed by Lee Daniels. Instead of writing based on Push by Sapphire, I wrote Scream, Push by Sapphire. <laughs> Lee Daniels wrote the screenplay. Okay. And it's based on the novel Push by Sapphire. Right. Uh, cinematography by Andrew Dunn and Darren Liu. Edited by Joe Klotz. Music by Mario Grigorov. And it runs 110 minutes. Uh, it stars Gabri Sidibi. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Uh, Monique, Paula Patton, Mariah Carey, Lenny Kravitz, Sherry Shepard, Barrett Helms, uh, Neela Gordon, Stephanie Anduar, China Lane, Amina Robinson, Sosha Rockmore, um, Aunt Dot, who is apparently the aunt of director Lee Daniels, which is very cute. <laughs> she played the grandmother. Oh, that's so cute. Angelique Zambrana, Kishé Powell, Grace Hightower, Kimberly Russell, and Bill Sage. Um, apparently Jamie Foxx also had a cameo, but it was in a deleted scene. Oh, great. Okay. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. And uh, Susan L. Taylor plays the unknown character at the beginning of the film who hands Precious the uh, scarf. Mm, So Precious um, follows the story of a pregnant 16-year-old girl as she navigates what her life is living in Harlem in the 80s. Um, We find out that her her unborn child is fathered by her father, who um, has already given her one child who has Down syndrome. Her mother verbally abuses her on a regular basis and physically abuses sometimes and is basically trying to scam the welfare system. Precious decides that she would like to be able to properly read and write. Um, So she 
ends up going to an alternative school where she focuses and gets her GED, learns how to start to improve herself and be better for herself. And then she finds out that her father was HIV positive. Oh, yeah. And he passed the disease on not only to her mother, but to her as well. So potentially her children are also HIV positive. It's not 100% clear in the film. Um, so then her mother tries to reconcile and just wants to be part of uh, her grandchildren's life again. And Precious says no. Says she can do better without her mother and that's what she's going to do. And that's where we kind of end. She walks out with her two kids. Damn. Yeah, this this one's a tough movie. Yeah, I that like, <laughs> that was another thing. I'm like, I don't really want to rewatch it because you know, just to protect my mental health, you know. Um, <laughs> I don't blame you. Yeah, so it it took a lot of work for me. Um, yeah, it it's a wonderfully acted movie. Mm-hmm, it's a mm-hmm. wonderfully done movie because mm-hmm. every moment you feel so viscerally everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it's rough. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's hard, yeah. First of all, you start with thinking <clears throat> that Precious is just, she's got a rough life, like everything's difficult, she's pregnant, oh no, like she had sex with someone, and then you learn who mm-hmm. she had sex with and the mm-hmm. situation surrounding it. And then it's like, okay, she's building, she's getting better, it's going to go well for her and then she becomes HIV positive and you're just like oh my god yeah and then at the very end they just toss in oh by the way when precious was born her father was having sex with her mother and started touching the baby uh, yeah what like just just how do you make someone feel terrible for watching a film yeah that's how you do it yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just it brings you up and it rocks you back down. Mm-hmm. It was nominated for best director, uh best actress for Gabri Sidibe, best supporting actress for Monique, best adapted screenplay and best film editing. Um Monique won best supporting and it won best adapted screenplay. Nice. Okay. Which I think is reasonable. I think so too. Honestly, like it's a powerful movie. Um mm-hmm. and it's it, yeah, it's really well done. Yeah, I I would say it doesn't have high rewatchability for me. 100%, yeah. <laughs> which, like, part of it is the themes are incredibly difficult, so, like, yeah. you don't need to put yourself through it multiple times unless mm-hmm. you want to. Um, but I also think that because I'm Caucasian and I live in an entirely different situation, I'm just, like, I don't connect with it in the same way right. that someone who's African-American and grew up in that kind of household would connect. right. Um, so, so like as stereotypical as it is, it's not a movie for me. Yeah. It, it wasn't made for me and it's okay that I'm like lukewarm about it. Yeah. I definitely liked it better than Up in the Air though. Yeah. I I mean, yeah. hundred percent. Up in the Air, like honestly, Up in the Air, like why do you exist? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like that's how I feel about it. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 That one can go. Okay. Um, and yeah, in terms of like Precious, like I get that. Like, um, I think it was also... Well, I don't know why it was made, but I think it also is mm-hmm. nice for um, this movie to bring light to these types of situations, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is the reality of how some people live, um, and it's tragic, and it's heartbreaking, um, and it's a struggle, and it's real. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, 
And and I yeah. agree with you. I think movies should leave you with some kind of message, but I think mm-hmm. movies can also just be to entertain. And this mm-hmm. is this is a movie that it has a message and it's important. The message yeah. needs to be heard. Mm-hmm. And and they really do everything they can mm-hmm. to get it across. Like um the moments when Precious goes into her like happy place as it were. Mm-hmm you don't quite realize what's happening and then suddenly you're in this beautiful happy place and everything's wonderful for her right. and it's it's kind of like a nice mental break that we as the audience get to take with her mm-hmm. and um and then you come back to reality and it's like oh god yeah. right reality <laughs> exactly yeah that's true. As, as someone with a very active internal life i totally feel that mm-hmm. anything else you want to say about precious uh nope um let's do up because (laughs) do two sad movies saddish movies in a row yeah um up again is one that i saw probably like four years ago um i didn't didn't rewatch so yeah that's okay up is a computer animated comedy drama adventure film which is just a word salad genre like those words mean nothing yeah just say animated film yeah it's (laughs) it's a pixar animated film yeah like just leave it there um, it was released May 9th, 2009. It was produced by Jonas Riviera, directed by Pete Docter, screenplay by Bob Peterson and Pete Docter. The story was by Pete Docter, Bob Peterson, and Tom McCarthy. Cinematography by Patrick Lynn and Jean-Claude Kalash, edited by Kevin Notling, and music by Michael Giacchino. It runs 96 minutes, so it's the shortest out of the group, but it also was like very much designed to be um like a kid's film right yeah. and we all know kids can't sit longer than a half hour and a half <laughs> uh it stars ed asner um and jeremy leary who was the young carl right. jordan nagai christopher Plummer, christopher Plummer, <laughs> um bob peterson pete doctor elizabeth doctor Delroy Lindo, Jeremy Ranfit, John Ratzenberger, who is in every Pixar film. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah. He he always has at least one voice in every one. That's amazing. David Kay, Danny Mann, Mickey McGowan, and Don Fullove. It was nominated for Best Original Screenplay, Best Animated Feature, Best Original Score, and Best Sound Editing. It won Best Animated Feature and Best Original Score. Um, I do not believe it was the first animated film to be nominated for best picture i'm just double checking it was the second fully animated film to be nominated um the other was beauty and the beast oh nice okay because i i was like i it it's not the first one to be nominated Mm -hmm. but i don't think there are i don't think there's more than two i think it's just up and uh beauty and the beast it, that's what it says on Wikipedia as well. I don't know. Yeah. Why. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, Up. <sighs> I have to try not to cry. <laughs> um, up starts with the story of Carl and Ellie. And uh, you get to see their life as they grow together. And they want to go on adventures. Um, they want to have children. And they are fortunately not able to. But they just love each other so very, very much. Um, finally, when they are elderly, Carl decides they haven't gone on an adventure, so he invites Ellie um, to climb the hill where they picnic together, and he's going to present her with tickets to Venezuela. 
and Ellie, for whatever reason, can't climb that hill. Um, the The film isn't clear on timeline, but eventually Ellie passes, and Carl becomes a grumpy old man in his beautiful, unique house in the middle of what is now going to become an urban area. Which, looking around, I was like, this is where I live now. It's <laughs> it, He's now in the downtown. Um, by mostly coincidence, a... Uh, a what is he an adventure ranger um <laughs> russell a young child comes to carl's door annoys carl just a little bit but kind of sparks in carl the idea that he should go to paradise falls where he was always supposed to go with ellie um so in the most animated movie plan ever he puts a bunch of balloons up his chimney and just lifts the entire house off the ground and starts floating away then he discovers russell is on his porch <laughs> Oh right. <laughs> so they're they are halfway to South America and he's got this small child and he is not happy about it. Mm -hmm. So the flight itself is fairly uneventful. They do go through one storm, but they survive. Um and then they land and Carl realizes they're so close to Paradise Falls. But the house is still floating, they've hit the ground. He decides the best way to do it is to just walk over there. Because that makes sense. Uh <laughs> Russell befriends a um, a large bird, which I think kind of looks like a cross between like a roadrunner and an ostrich. Um, yeah, see that. <laughs> and then we're introduced to the dogs. Uh, yep. Now, Doug is a golden retriever, and he immediately takes a liking to Carl and just wants to help him. So their their twosome eventually becomes a foursome, and we're also introduced to uh, Beta Gamma and uh alpha who are um other dogs that are searching for the bird and they all have collars that allow them to speak in uh, english eventually the dogs get a hold of carl and russell and take them to their master who as it turns out is um what is his name charles charles f Munts, who was carl's idol growing up and I just want to point out that the timeline does not make sense. <laughs> because okay. if Carl was a child when Charles went to find Paradise Falls, Charles would be like 110. Mm -hmm. Because, okay, assuming he's, let's say, 15 years older than Carl, and sure. Carl's like in his 80s. Okay, yeah. so Charles is 100. But still, he's like super spry for a 100-year-old man. <laughs> As it turns out, uh, Charles is trying to hunt the bird that Russell has befriended mm. and then he takes like an evil villain turn that I don't entirely understand and he spends the rest of the movie chasing Carl and Russell to try and capture the bird Carl abandons everyone briefly but then has a change of heart and comes back and saves everyone because that's what good people do <laughs> uh, but he does get to see Paradise Falls which is the most important part um, they eventually kill charles he like he mm. falls he falls out of the sky when they're in the zeppelin mm. and they eventually are able to return back to wherever their hometown is with their bird their talking dog and a zeppelin what okay um, i don't remember Pixar, most man. of Pixar. this i know like all this going to venezuela going to paradise falls like this bird I don't remember any of this. This Charles guy, <laughs> I don't remember this either. Like, I thought this was just that movie where, like, like the dog comes back at the end of the movie and it's, like, really cute. Is that what happens? Like, you know what I mean? 
Does he even get separated I mean, from sort the sort of. Yeah, the do- he, they get separated, yes. Okay, all right. Like, that's... I just thought it was about that. Um, <laughs> thought it was about a love between a man and his dog, okay? <laughs> that's what I remember from it. Um, <laughs> and I forgot about I don't know what movie too. you watched. Yeah, I know. <laughs> swear it was this one. Swear I've seen it. But, uh, yeah, no, none of this sounds familiar. Some okay. of it does, but not none Great. of this, like, random stuff that shouldn't be in it sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> so this movie becomes a little bit difficult to like use a lot of the um a lot of like my analysis techniques on because okay. it's animated so okay. like i can't i can't really talk about their acting or whatever uh, yeah, yeah because like it's all voice acting which is voice it's acting still, yeah. is incredibly important don't yeah. mistake me but like yeah it's just a little harder sure. um but i mean it's it's an adventure movie it keeps you going the whole time it does <laughs> not slow down right Okay. You are on this roller coaster and you are just hmm. going. Um, I mean, obviously, my favorite character is Doug, the talking dog, right. because who doesn't want their dog to be able to talk to them? But <laughs> yeah. you know what your dog is thinking. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's it's fun. It's happy. It's a it's a really good Pixar movie. It's not light. Like, it deals with a lot of really difficult themes. I mean, that that first 20 minutes, mm-hmm. oh, I was bawling. Hmm. I just, I, I've never seen it before. Oh, okay. And part of the reason I hadn't watched it was because I had heard that that opening bit with you Carl and Ellie was, like, so heartbreaking. Yeah. Oh, a lot <laughs> of tears. Hmm. Like, that's a better love story than some movies I've watched. <laughs> right, yeah. Yep. Um... And it, it's very cute. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Carl is that traditional grumpy old man, and he just softens a little bit. Um, and poor Russell is the boy whose family, like, doesn't quite understand him. His dad isn't around for him. Right. And Carl gets to be that dad for Russell. So Russell's, like, stoked. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when Carl comes around, it's, it's just so sweet. Because it's like you see... Um, <laughs> I listened to a podcast called The Penumbra, and one of the jokes is that um, sometimes a family can be uh, two moms, um, a space dad, and, like, two lovers off in the corner. This movie, to me, is also that, where mm-hmm. it's, like, a family can be an old man, mm-hmm. an Asian child, mm-hmm. a bird, and a dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a talking yeah. dog. Like, yeah. like, family family is what you make it, which is not the theme of the movie, but I think that's a good a good thing to think about yeah for sure i think there's no reason it couldn't be a theme in the movie i'm, I'm curious what you think arvin since you watched a different movie <laughs> <laughs> i swear it was this movie um yeah i mean like i think it's i'm just wondering like you know all these like this adventure that they go on you know mm-hmm. does it seem to fit you know what i mean like does it does it make sense that all these things are happening you know I think in the world that they create, it does make sense. It does? Okay. okay. Like, it's it's the Pixar universe. It's the universe where bugs yeah. can talk and build helicopters. Yeah. It's the universe where toys come alive and have adventures across the city. Mm-hmm. So, like, if it, I think that's the key of this movie is that it wouldn't function if it was live action. It would only right. work as animated right. because we as humans struggle to mm-hmm. accept that something that looks exactly like us mm-hmm is doing something crazy we need it needs to be like just that one degree of separation right 
is it conceivable that a balloon <laughs> is like a bunch of helium yeah, yeah, balloons yeah. is going to float a house? Absolutely not. That's not yeah. going to happen. But, but, in this world, but you buy it in the movie okay. and like up makes it very easy to buy into all the weird things that are happening mm-hmm. because it it starts you off level and then it just kind of like mm-hmm. takes little liberties with things right, like right. sometimes the gravity doesn't work the way you expect it to it really it gives you a foundation and then it builds you in mm-hmm. and so even though it's wild to think that like even the fact that charles would still be alive and as spry as he is like right. that's <laughs> that on yeah. its own is inconceivable yeah but i didn't question it until partway th- like near the end of the movie i was like hang mm-hmm. on right that doesn't make any sense but i didn't question it because i was i was so engaged with what they were doing yeah yeah okay and they kind of like earn all of that at the beginning hey would you say yeah. that like yeah absolutely mm-hmm. okay and and i think part of it too is it builds on the experience of its predecessors Mm. I buy into this so easily because I've watched Toy Story, because I've right. watched A Bug's Life. Right. Um, and so I know that going into this movie, it's not going to it's not going to be a normal movie. There's going to be weird things happening. Yeah. But that but I'm okay with that because I know what I'm buying into. Right. And and for me it's the same with a Tarantino film. You know that you're buying into a bit of a weird universe where like yeah. things aren't quite what they seem. Right. Um, because it's building on something that it had before. Mm-hmm. I, I think if this was on its own and was just trying to like toss me in, mm-hmm. I I would be really concerned. I'd right. be like, <laughs> I'm not on this journey with you and I don't know why you think I am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean I've I like know it was a good movie. I mean, that's all you ever hear anybody say about up, right? That it was good and it was sad. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, yeah, I'm into it. Cool. Um, you know, that's about it. That's all I gotta say. You know. Yeah, that's really fair. <laughs> I agree. I believe those people. So, <laughs> <laughs> what movie do you want to do next? Um, next up on my list is District Nine. So it was my first time watching it too. It yeah, I I've seen bits and pieces of it. I hadn't watched oh, okay. it all the way through. Right. So District Nine is a science fiction action film. It was released um, on the 13th of August, 2009 in New Zealand um, and like throughout the month of August was released in the United States and South Africa. It was produced by Peter Jackson and Carolyn Cunningham, directed by Neil Blomkamp, written by Neil Blomkamp and Terry Tatchell. Um, It's based on a short that Neil Blomkamp made called Alive in Joburg. Mm. Cinematography by Trent Opalock. Uh, edited by Julian Clark and music by Clinton Shorter. It runs 112 minutes. It stars Charlto Copley, Jason Cope, David James, Vanessa Haywood, uh, Mandela Gaduka, Mandla Gaduka. This name is going to be very difficult for me. Eugene Wanagwa Kuhambianawa? That's not correct, um, but there, there's a Y in a place where my mouth doesn't know what to do with it. My white mouth has trouble. Uh, Louis Minar, Kenneth Nicosi, William Allen Young, Robert Hobbs, Nathan Blot, Nathan Bolt, pardon me, Sylvain Strike, John Sumner, Nick Blake, Jed Brophy, Vittorio Leonardi, 
Uh, and that's that's pretty much it. Everyone else is just kind of like random people. Mm-hmm. It was nominated for um, Best Film Editing, Best Visual Effects, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, it did not win anything. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Just nothing. Which I, I kind of get because like it's a sci-fi film. So yeah, it becomes yeah. hard to give it to that one. Okay. Especially when Avatar's in the same year. Sure, yeah. District 9 starts with, uh, in 1982, aliens land on Earth. And they <laughs> end up in uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. Um, fast forward twenty about 20 years. Um, and the humans are upset with aliens coexisting. The, uh, the temporary camp that was built eventually becomes a slum. And so a mid-level bureaucrat... Um, named Vickis van der Meer, is expected to be the head of the operation that starts to relocate all of the aliens to another area, um, like, miles away from where it is so that it can be, like, a better home. But it, we all know it's just going to turn into another slum. Mm-hmm. Um, so Vickis is attempting to serve notice on a few aliens who are collecting alien fuel. And when Vickis goes to seize the fuel... Uh, he breaks the canister and is sprayed with it. Um, after like not even a full day, um, his arm has like really mutated. Um, he keeps it under a cast, but after he vomits at a birthday party, he gets taken to the hospital, and then they realize he's becoming alien. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's used for um, scientific experiments. Uh, they eventually want to try to harvest his body. Um, why they didn't knock him out before they started to harvest him is <laughs> yeah. beyond me because yeah. none of this would have happened if you had just knocked him out. Just get an yeah. anesthesiologist in there. Like Help one it. time. Yeah, exactly. Just once. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he breaks out of the um, the lab, basically, manages to escape back into District 9, which is the slum town where the aliens live. Um, pure coincidence, finds the alien in whose home he was originally injured manages to communicate with him and they are able to decide, okay, we need to get fuel and get weapons and then we can get you back on the mothership. Unfortunately, it would take three years for the alien to return home and then come back and heal Vickis. What can you do? That's just (laughs) how time works. Um, So initially Vickis is like, he doesn't want to help, but then he, he comes around, he becomes more humane and uh, he does help them. He eventually manages to help them to escape. And um, their ship returns to the mothership. We assume Vickis is still alive. It's not, it's not like super, super clear, but it's, it's implied. He, he mm-hmm. survives and he's waiting for his savior to return. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so what, really what did you think of District movie. 9? Yeah, like, I really enjoyed it. It was super entertaining to watch, and mm-hmm. I thought it had a pretty good storyline. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, I don't know, like, if the CGI was really good, in my opinion. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I, I don't get too much into comparison right now, but, like, I liked that in this CGI, like, I feel like sometimes movies struggle with, like, keeping the weight of a cgi thing mm-hmm. like it's like if okay if a massive robot went and fell on the ground like sorry we gotta see the ground shake a little bit you know what i mean like there's gonna be some impact with some things right but like yeah. i actually feel like this movie did a good job of like keeping yeah. that weight and and that sort of thing so it made it more realistic and believable right and i i think it's an interesting contrast to avatar that mm-hmm. also <laughs> was nominated and had 
like CGI and reality yeah. uh, coexisting. And I actually felt like this movie did a better job than Avatar. Yeah. Yeah. Like obviously Avatar was like so much more CGI. So yeah. like I get it. Um, if it won something more than this one, you know, I don't know. Um, but uh but I, I genuinely think that um like District Nine handled the CGI better than, yeah. than Avatar did. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Like it again they made it feel real mm-hmm. they they let you buy in and i really liked that it opened with a documentary style of mm-hmm. film right. so that you felt like you were just kind of watching things as they were happening right and then and then that kind of went away and you just followed the main story so right. i part of me feels like i would have liked it to either be documentary the whole way through mm. or be cinematic the whole way through so i felt mm. that was a little bit jarring right um yeah. But I, it, again, makes it easier to buy in when you tell me this is the world we're in, that let, just accept it, and mm-hmm. here's where we're going to go with it. And I, it really did make it so much easier to be like, okay, sure, there are aliens, and oh, we treated them like they were slums? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that sounds accurate. That sounds like something humanity would do. Mm-hmm. And that's another couple points, Um, is like, one, there were a lot of hard topics in this. Like, I honestly, like, the first, I don't know, 45 minutes, I was, like, dying inside the entire time. Like, mm-hmm. it was, like, the abuse, the the way they're treating other people, like, you know, all of this stuff. Um, it was really hard to watch. Um, it's kind of uncomfortable, obviously. Um, but, yeah, and then, like, there's a lot of, like, xenophobia, obviously. Like, you know, a lot of, um, yeah, just... <laughs> just treating you know species or even the same species differently you know yeah. just because of yeah. who they are and looking different and that sort of thing right um so yeah i mean yeah a lot of hard topics which like i appreciate yeah. i appreciate that being in a film right? and what's interesting is blomkamp um when he made his short film like obviously that is that is a theme that is a significant mm-hmm. theme is the xenophobia but he's like Oh, that's really that wasn't really what I was going for. I was just looking to tell a good story. And I'm like, yeah. I can live with I can live with that being your goal, but you have yeah. to own and accept what you've done. 100%. Because well, I mean, start with the fact that District Nine is straight up a reference to um, an apartheid slum. Yeah, that existed in the 1960s. Like you, yeah. you cannot ex- you can't escape that. Yeah. Huh. That changes things. I don't know. It's just kind of like why make that such a huge element of the movie? Like, yeah, like then... the it, the core part of the movie is that we don't <laughs> trust something that doesn't look like us. Yeah. Why are you telling me that's not what you meant to do? Yeah. But at the same time, huh. there's a certain amount where filmmakers just have to let they have to let it go and just say and whatever just people interpret is what they interpret. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Interesting. Um. There was another thing, like, hey, well, just a couple points on, like, characters, because, like, Vickis, like, at first I was like, oh, my God, he doesn't even, like, become a better person, like, oh, my God, he's so stupid, whatever, right? But mm-hmm. I think, like, do, like, I thought about it, and I was like, to the core of it, he's just a coward. Every single move he makes, every single choice he makes is because he's a coward, and a coward yeah. he remains up until pretty much the end, mm-hmm. you know, which is, like, when he finally decides, like, you know what, I'm about to die anyway, I might as well fight for yep. somebody else <laughs> you know like literally yep. the end because even before that he's about to be like wait no 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 let me go just kill him take the alien you know yeah and he starts trying yep. to run let away live. Yeah, yeah yeah and then finally he's like he's just replays the the you know the <laughs> the idea that this person's gonna kill the alien in his head mm-hmm. twice and then changes his mind right but like so that's kind of my explanation for why Vickis is the way he is and mm-hmm. you know like 
I just think he's a coward and he still was because literally it's like he didn't it's not just he became a good person and decided to do the better thing it was no he was about to die so he had no, nothing else yeah. to live for like you know what I mean like yeah yeah his self-preservation came ahead of everything else 100% 100% every single time which like I liked it because it's a consistent character trait mm-hmm. you know what I mean mm-hmm. so like good good for them um and then you know Kubis, the the like general or whatever of like the the other side. Yeah. Okay. So I think this is hilarious in movies. Like I hate it. Okay. I hate it. <laughs> but I hate when like the the top gun of like this army or whatever just doesn't die like up until the very end. Like even like it's okay. Like I get it if they're like standing in like the military room and they never actually go onto the battlefield and then they aren't dying. That makes total sense. But Kubis yep. was in the battlefield the entire time and like didn't die. And like somehow yep. Vickus was able to shoot everybody else in one shot and kill them, never missed. And every single time he tried to shoot Kubis, who was just standing there, he missed. <laughs> like, like I yep. don't understand. Yep. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it so much. Like, <laughs> I get it's for effect. And, like, you know, you want them to have, like, this, you know, last word here and everything, right? But, like, it just doesn't make any sense. I hate it. Well, and there has to be a consistent face to the villain. Mm-hmm. Because, because inherently the villain in this... <clears throat> movie is humanity as a whole yeah and humanity yeah. xenophobia we had to have someone to like kind of pin that and represent it yeah on. Yeah, yeah yeah so i get it but then don't put him in those situations exactly right? like, make it make don't sense don't put him like... on the front line <laughs> yeah make him like, like send his men out and he kind of like hangs back exactly and then he's the last one standing and it makes sense exactly like that's not a hard choice you know in my yeah. opinion yeah no i totally get that yeah yeah <laughs> But he, it's a very satisfying end for him. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Love to see some uh, evil motherfuckers get, uh, you yeah. know, thrown around, smashed around, you know, killed. <laughs> yeah. I liked I liked that the film started, like, not, like, it, it didn't start as though it was going to be gory. Like, obviously, there's moments where Vickis mm-hmm. is, like, transforming, mm-hmm. and then it, like, just slowly started to build. And mm-hmm. then, like, the, the one moment that stuck with me was... Um, it was the uh, gang leader who gets hit in the head with like a canister mm. and his part of his head explodes and you watch it happen. Mm. And I'm like, that's, that's a lot. Right. Like, that's not Tarantino <laughs> levels of gore, yeah, but yeah, it was yeah. like, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> where are we now? Yeah. It definitely took a turn. Yeah. Which is like, I also, you know, I didn't notice that it like stopped doing the documentary style. Cause I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not like super adept at like looking at those types of things when mm-hmm. I'm watching movies, but like, I didn't even catch that. And then when you mentioned it, I was like, oh, that is a little bit jarring. That's a bit weird. Yeah. But yeah, like, because they, they still had little like interview cameos. Yeah. But the the crux, like the the meat of the film is no longer done it's in the no documentary longer. style. And and that almost makes sense because it's like, well, mm. you know, you can you can do a documentary when everything's fine and dandy, but when you have somebody on the loose, you know, how are you gonna do this documentary style? There's not just a cameraman following around a fugitive. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and so that makes sense to me, but it also it might just also work in terms of the movie taking a complete turn, Mm -hmm. you know, like no longer is everything fine and dandy for the, you know, white people. Um, And, and so now it's like, well, everything's going to shit and everything's flying off the rails. So how can we make a documentary when that's happening? You know, I don't know. So I I guess like makes sense. No, I I agree with you. I think, I think the shift does make sense. And I think Mm -hmm. for storytelling, particularly Mm -hmm. it's like, it's very important that you make that shift. So yeah. I, I agree with the idea of it. I just find it jarring. Uh, sure. Yeah. That's um, because, 
because like when you realize it's happened you're like oh hang on like this whole thing that we've established at the beginning is Mm -hmm. gone Mm -hmm. and i i don't know what would make that less jarring i don't know if like throwing in cctv footage of it like having it all function as like a cctv found footage style would Mm -hmm. be better i'm not totally certain about that Mm -hmm. quiet phone yeah, and I mean, they do, like, very oftentimes in the movie, just, you know, you you can see Vickis being like, turn it off, turn off the camera, turn it off, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's like, mm-hmm. maybe that was supposed to be, like, a, a foreshadowing or something, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, maybe that was like, the moment, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, he does that, like, like, two or three times, he, like, freaks out the camera people, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. But I still I still found it really entertaining and yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, it's a good movie, and it, mm-hmm. it has rewatchability. Um, I think different than a few of the other ones we've talked about, sure. which, uh, which is important. Yeah. I don't want to watch a movie just once most yeah. of the time. <laughs> I agree. There, yeah. there are some movies where, I'm, let me tell you, Gone with the Wind. I've yeah. seen it once. I do not need to watch it again. Right. It okay. is four hours long. Right. <laughs> I, I, okay. I spent a day watching it and I'm yeah. pleased that I did. It's a great movie. Right. Okay. Once. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> But it's nice to be able to enjoy them, yeah, at different yeah, times. And, yeah, yeah. And, and I will say, doing this podcast has really, like, brought me to enjoy a mm-hmm. lot of movies I never thought I would. Like, District 9 is totally up my alley. Mm. I've never watched it before right. now. Yeah. I've only ever, like, seen bits of it when it's on TV and my dad's watching it. Mm-hmm. And see, like, it is totally not up my alley, but I really enjoyed it, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I'm super glad yeah. I watched it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um... Let's move on. Let's do Inglorious Bastards. Let's just okay. Do it. Let's just do Inglorious Bastards <laughs> <laughs> okay. since we've already established that we both really like this movie. Yes, exactly. All right, I love the way it's described. Inglorious Bastards is a war film. No, it's not. Yeah, <laughs> it's a satire. Um, <laughs> it was released May twenty ninth. Uh, sorry, May twentieth, two thousand nine, at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, it is produced by Lawrence Bender, directed and written by Quentin Tarantino, cinematography by Robert Richardson, edited by Sally Mankey. Um, technically, the music is by Quentin Tarantino, but he uses a lot of um, Emilio Morricone's music. He just couldn't get Morricone to compose the whole thing. Mm. It stars... Everybody uh, strap in for this one. Yeah. <laughs> Brad Pitt, Melanie Laurent, Christophe Waltz, Eli Roth, Michael Fassbender, Diane Kruger, Daniel Brühl, Thiel Schweiger, Gideon Burkhard, uh, Jackie Ido, BJ Novak, Omar Doom, Sam, Sam Levine, Sam Levine, August Diel, Denis Ménochet, Sylvester Groth, Sylvester Groth, Martin Wutke, Mike Myers, Julie Dreyfus, Ricard Samel, Alexander Failing, Rod Taylor, which, like, he plays Winston Churchill. You don't realize it's Churchill until, like, two <laughs> minutes later, you're like, hang on, that dude was supposed to be Churchill. That's so funny. I didn't even realize. Sinker <laughs> uh, Möhring, Paul Rucht, Mikhail Bakal, um, and I'm just kind of scrolling down now. Um, yeah, I I will say there's a lot of people in this film. I am just I hit the biggest names. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in addition, Samuel L. Jackson is the uncredited narrator. Um, Harvey Keitel is the uncredited voice of the OSS commander. Um, Bella B. I don't actually know who Bella B. is. And of course, Quentin Tarantino. He's in every one of his movies. Mm. Oh, um, Bella B. is a uh, German musician and songwriter. I'm surprised. I don't know him. So, Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to try to be quick with it because there's a lot of plot lines that take yeah. off in this movie. Okay. Um, for those of you that don't know, Quentin Tarantino is very well known for hyperviolence and for um, movies that are presented out of sequence. This is one of the few movies that is actually fairly in sequence, mm-hmm. but we do jump around a lot of um, storylines. Mm-hmm. So the first storyline, it follows Shoshana Dreyfus, who is a Jew hiding in a French dairy farmer's house with her family during World War II. The um, SS Colonel Hans Landa eventually figures out that that's where they're hiding. Um, He basically bamboozles the dairy farmer and attempts to kill all the Dreyfuses. Shoshana escapes. Then we switch to Lieutenant Aldo Rain, who's in the American Special Services. Basically, he's put together a group of Jewish American commandos to just wreck shit on the, on the German lines just to terrify all of the Germans. We see like what, what the bastards are able to do. That's what they're known as, the bastards. And uh, one of their signatures is they will leave one or two um, survivors out of the people, out of the command out of the groups that they hit and they will carve a swastika into the person's forehead then we jump back to paris shoshana dreyfus is um operating a cinema she's using the name emmanuel Nimur. um she meets uh frederick zoller who is a snipe a german sniper and a cinema lover he kind of tries to woo her but she's like super not into it eventually he convinces Josef Goebbels to hold the premiere of the film that Zoller is starring in about his escapades at Emmanuel Nimue's uh, movie theater, which is like a tiny theater. And also, she didn't ask for this. Yeah, <laughs> she I want this. know. I know. She's like totally forced into it. And then Hans Landa shows up. Yep. And you spend most of the movie thinking he probably knows that she's actually Shoshana, mm-hmm. but like you're not totally sure, mm-hmm. which is like part of Christoph Waltz's brilliance. Mm-hmm. Then we go to England. <laughs> and um, an intelligence corps lieutenant, Archie Hickox, gets recruited into Operation Kino, where essentially they're going to try to kill as many members of the German high command as possible at this film premiere. So he meets up with the bastards and uh, a German contact, um, Brigitte von Hammersmith. Hammersmark. Hammersmark. Yeah. Sorry. Nope. So many German names. They all <laughs> yeah, sound the you're same. You're actually doing really good at like pronunciation too. It's nice. Well, so yeah. in case you didn't know, I'm completely fluent in French and I'm like yeah, semi-fluent you're really good in German. French accent. Yeah, okay. Because, well, because my family's all German. So like mm. I can pronounce German names. <laughs> right, right. Wow. Nice. Can't do south african yeah (laughs) those trouble me yeah the bastards are going to join up with basically um the equivalent of mi6 it's the intelligence corps (laughs) they have to meet in a uh, basement in a basement bar 
Unfortunately, the agents are discovered. There is a huge shootout. Everybody but Bridget von Hammersmark dies. And so Aldo goes, okay, well, how are we going to make the, like, this mission's not going to happen. And Bridget's like, it, it could still happen. You just have to come with me. Which is a terrible idea. Because yeah. he, uh, because Aldo Ring speaks Italian like, like you would expect someone named Aldo the Apache to speak Italian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Brad Pitt actually, like, has yeah. conversational Italian, but <laughs> Aldo does not. Yeah. So... The Bastards and Bridget go to the film premiere. In the meantime, Shoshana and her lover have already planned that they're going to burn the theater down with all the Nazis in it. Mm-hmm. And there's an interesting development that we all find out right before the premiere. Hitler is going to be at the premiere. And so now everybody like really has to make sure that their plans go through. So Bridget appears, Hans Landa... <laughs> figures out he he examined the crime scene he found a shoe he figures out it's probably bridget because she has a huge cast on her leg um so he sweeps her off into an office and eventually captures um aldo and one one of the other bastards uh, bj novak's character Mm -hmm. and he takes them and they actually leave the movie theater in the meantime shoshana has locked all of the doors um, they've set up the nitrate film, and uh, Shoshana manages to burn down the building with all of the Nazis inside locked in. Um, the other two bastards take their guns and complete the plan. They uh, set off their bombs, and they use their machine guns to kill everyone that they can reach. Um, Frédéric Zoller tries to see Shoshana. They end up killing each other in the projection booth. And then uh, Hans Landa goes manages to get Aldo to get in contact with the OSS. He negotiates a really good um, peace deal. Like, basically, he comes out on top. Uh, and so then they go to the the border lines, like, where the war lines are. And Aldo um, doesn't exactly betray Landa, but um, kind of does his own thing mm-hmm. and eventually carves a swastika into Landa's forehead. Yes. That's it. <laughs> oh man. Oh, yeah. That's that movie. Oh, I love that movie so it's much. It, so it actually good. it got me on. I watched uh, Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 like right after. Oh damn, okay. So, you know, I actually saw this movie like when it first came out or like mm-hmm. I thought I saw it, right? But like I didn't remember a single thing that happened and all <laughs> I remembered was like the pasture, you know, from like probably the first mm-hmm. scene and I remembered it being like a joke, right? Like that's what I took away from it. But like Yeah watching it now and by now I mean literally last night okay um I I you know and you said it wasn't really a war film and more of a satire right but mm-hmm. I actually found this to be like not much oh, it's of very a satire yeah it's like it's like it was actually a war film but mm-hmm. there were just very believable jokes in it like it's like all the characters in it are just have a sense of humor you know yeah like yeah. thank god right but, like, it, it wasn't, like, I just found it to be, like, not that much of a satire, which was, like, interesting, right? Because, again, you know, Tarantino, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I thought that was interesting. It was much yeah. less of a of a joke of a warm, like, a war film. You know what I mean? Like, and more yeah. just, like, a funny, like, just had humor, you know? Yeah, like, he's not making fun of war, and he's not making yeah. fun of war films. It's very much an homage. Sure, um, yeah. Which, like, if... 
if you know Tarantino's history, like mm-hmm. he basically grew up watching movies. Right. That's all he yeah. did all day long right. was he just watched movies. Right. Um so it like I I couldn't see it when I first watched this movie. Mm-hmm. And I was the same. I watched the movie when it first came out. I saw mm-hmm. it like second or third weekend. It was my first date with my first serious boyfriend. Oh wow, yeah. I thought it was a I thought it was a war movie. I thought it was going to be about yeah. the Second World War, which I'm very fascinated by. Yeah. It was not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how he and I stayed together for two years after that was our first date. <laughs> oh man. He he was apparently he was ready to go along for the ride. Yeah. Um but it I can see it now, all of the homages to mm. different types of war films and mm-hmm. um, all the, like, influences. Mm. And I, I will say, like, it's faithful to the idea that it goes on. Right. It is obviously not a biography. It's it's mm-hmm. a historical mm-hmm. fiction. Yeah. Um, but, it, it, again, you buy into it very quickly mm-hmm. um, because... I, I think because you, for someone who's never seen a Tarantino movie before, you can go with it and be like, okay, yeah, this is pretty normal. And then when things start to change, you're like, all right, this is the world of the movie that we're yeah, in. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because, um, like, we all know Hitler didn't die in a movie theater fire in 1944. <laughs> I legit he shot himself to, like, in a bunker. Find out how he died yesterday. Because I was like, this is not how he died. <laughs> That's, that's not okay. possible yeah <laughs> i don't expect everyone to be a huge history nerd the way right I am. i'm totally not yeah but i mean <laughs> yes even i was able to be like wait hitler didn't die here uh, yeah but i'm still bought into this yeah you know but like i had the exact you know train of thought that that you just described there is like yeah you know you're you can fall you know you're following along with everything and then you notice yeah. something's a bit off but then you're like but okay you know it's fine yeah and and that's how i felt when i was watching it last night yeah and i think um, contrary to how I felt about District 9, where it, like, mm-hmm. started on one path and then kind of, like, changed mm-hmm. some of its strategies partway through, with Inglorious Bastards, like, obviously it starts with giving us chapter titles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on, like, chapter 3, all of a sudden we get this narration that has, like, oh, not yeah. existed for the rest of the, yeah. like, earlier in the film. But I was like, I'm okay with this. Like, it's jarring. And it's mm-hmm. meant to be jarring. Mm-hmm. And it's not... You're, you're not supposed to feel like, oh, this fits in perfectly, but mm-hmm. it, it does. Right. It's yeah. exactly what it needs to be. Yeah. The, it jumps between different scenes. There's a lot of fourth wall breaking. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes it an entertaining film and is what makes it so culturally significant to our generation. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is the next step from Pulp Fiction and from Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. And um, it, like, it, it got people like me who weren't particularly interested in movies interested in watching movies Mm -hmm. so it was nominated for a lot of things uh obviously best picture best director uh christoph waltz was nominated for best supporting actor best original screenplay best cinematography best film editing best sound editing best sound mixing um the only award it won was uh christoph waltz getting supporting actor yeah honestly (laughs) i and again i remember that moment and i was like yes okay i just who deserves it i didn't even know who this dude was before this movie okay but i am his biggest fan now okay like i am obsessed with christoph waltz like i i will i love him there is something about him i cannot take my eyes off him i want to watch him all day long and everything he does is um is uh like god himself has touched me you know what i mean like incredible yeah 100 percent 
I want to talk about the music a little bit because okay, it's yeah. such an important part of this film. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's an important part of all Tarantino films, but yeah, yeah. Um, this is a <laughs> insight into Haley's life to explain why she's so weird. I used to listen to this soundtrack. Like, Whoa, just, okay. I had it on my iPod and I would yeah. just play it because it's incredible. Huh. Um, it has, like, that spaghetti western theme, but then you throw in Cat People mm-hmm. by David Bowie and it's just like... It, it's perfect. Like, I I don't know if Tarantino considers this one of his best films. Mm-hmm. I consider it his perfect film. Damn. Like, to me, that is it is my perfect Tarantino film. Yeah. Because um, it just has, it It does bring everything in everything. together. Yeah. Every element works together really, mm-hmm. really well. And mm-hmm. you get incredible performances from Brad Pitt, um, who, like, has always been kind of an ick actor to me like he's never done anything significant yeah and then you watch him in bastards and you're like holy shit dude oh my god and also not to mention i've always been kind of eh on like in terms of him you know his looks and uh-huh. uh in this movie oh my god oh my god brad pitt you know what i mean like things we is... learned about arvind yeah he likes angry <laughs> german yelling and mustaches okay well no like here's just a side <laughs> comment definitely include it in the podcast okay but brad pitt eli roth jackie ito and christoph waltz were a bunch of daddies okay oh i just god. i cannot i the i wish movie. eli roth would act more i like, just only, stare at him i didn't even like really know who he was but the first moment i saw him i was like i'm in love i like this guy you know what mm-hmm. i mean and oh, oh my oh my god he's so gorgeous yeah Yep, yep. And okay. Brad Pitt with a mustache. I'm sorry, I'm down. Oh, so I'm hot. So, so hot. Yeah. <laughs> Michael yeah. Fassbender with the mustache. Or no, he didn't have a mustache. He didn't have a mustache, like, yeah. Clean Michael Fassbender. Oh, it was good, yeah. Too. For sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, the movie was easy on the eyes, okay? Just, let's just yeah. put that out there. Yeah. It was. I, like, uh, the the ladies were equally beautiful. Uh, 100%, like, they were gorgeous. The guys were yeah. just, they were so hot this time around. Yeah. Oh my god! There, there are some movies that I watch and I can't take my eyes off the women. This was one where I was like, can't take my eyes off the men. Yeah, I couldn't do both. Like I was, I had my eyes on all of them at all times. But also like that scene where like, um, the actress, you know, got shot and um, you know, Brad Pitt. First of all, in that scene, Brad Pitt was absolutely gorgeous. Okay, like I literally tweeted something. I know, <laughs> and, and like, and then the actress was like writhing in pain and like, you know saying all these things like oh there's two new developments right Mm -hmm. and i i honestly i was like please stop talking you're taking about 10 minutes now just to tell us that hitler is going to be there after already making us wait for 45 (laughs) minutes in this whole shooting thing okay like and i'm like just please stop and please put the camera back on brad pitt like i just didn't look at her anymore okay but but i think that's the beauty of tarantino Mm -hmm. is that um those Inglorious Bastards, there's a lot that happens, Mm -hmm. but there are some scenes that are just so slow. Yeah. And they're intentionally slow. So, like, when they're, when Aldo's trying to come back into the basement after everyone's been shot, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's a very slow scene. And the movie does not earn the slowness. Yeah. Like, you sit there and you're bored and you're supposed to be bored. Yeah. Whereas scenes like when, um, Londa and, um, uh shoshana are having the um the oh, strudel. That strudel yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's a it's an extremely slow scene but it's tense 
and it earns how tense you feel watching it. 100%. So, and I think even in the scene where Brad Pitt was trying to come downstairs, like Aldo was trying to come and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, get Bridget out of there, um, though it was very slow, it did earn that moment, I thought, mm-hmm. um, in terms of, yeah, we're bringing down all of that tension that was just so high for so long. Um, and then on top of that with what happens next which you know i knew something was going to go down but like you know that shot there like that yeah we had to you know like it was like there was so much tension and it hadn't been fully released yet yeah you know and yeah um also about the soundtrack though um like i i thought it was really interesting because it's such a different Mm -hmm. array of music like there were there's just so many different styles going on there and then Mm -hmm. i also thought that there's like Okay, I try. I actually went through the entire movie after I watched it, trying to find like the music in it because <laughs> there was one song that reminded me of The Shining. Okay, like the music that plays in The Shining. Please tell me if you can like identify it because I couldn't find it the second time I went. Like I probably can through the whole Let me movie. Just get yeah, my iTunes up. Yeah, please. I might not do it uh, while we're on the call. Yeah, yeah. I, I will definitely do it today. Okay. Because <laughs> I was like dying to know, like, because I thought it was so, I thought it was like out of place, like, like not because it didn't match the scene, but I was like, wait, what's, ha- why is it playing this music? But somehow it still worked. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes, yeah, yeah. And yeah. again, I think that's that's a um, that's a moment of genius where it's mm-hmm. like this music does not fit. And usually Tarantino will put music of the era in his film. Right. It's spaghetti western music, which doesn't yeah. fit. Yeah. It's David Bowie, which is not era appropriate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you let it go, you're okay Because it with works. It. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Let's talk about another movie now. Okay. What do we have left? Okay. Um, me. I mean, I'm down with, like, I'll just say something. I watched Avatar and I watched An Education, but I did not watch The Hurt Locker, which is hilarious because it's the one that won. I know. I know. Sorry. <laughs> you'll have to tell me everything about it yeah apparently okay yeah uh let's do an education okay um can i just yeah oh yeah yeah. go ahead go ahead no do your thing uh so an education is a coming of age drama film it was released uh the 18th of january 2009 at sundance like i said the majority of the movies in this group of nominees was released at um uh film festivals independent film festivals it's produced by Finola Dwyer and Amanda Posey, directed by Lone Scherfig, screenplay by Nick Hornby, based on An Education by Lynn Barber, um, which is a short essay that eventually became a full memoir. Uh, cinematography by John DeBorman, edited by Barney Pilling, and music by Paul Englishby. It stars Carrie Mulligan, Peter Sarsgaard, Dominic Cooper, Rosamund Pike, Alfred Molina, Kara Seymour, Emma Thompson, Olivia Williams, Sally Hawkins, Matthew Beard, Ellie Kendrick, and Ashley Rice. Um, it was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, and Mulligan was nominated for Best Actress. It did not win anything. Um, An Education is the story of a 16-year-old girl in 1960s Britain, um coming to terms with the fact that she could go to university and get a job as a teacher and eventually become a housewife or she could run away with the older man that has seduced her and have an exciting life and um eventually become a housewife (laughs) uh 
and so she kind of plays out those two options throughout the whole film um eventually her boyfriend proposes to her and then she finds out that he's married and a notorious con man and so her life falls apart and she has to figure out what she's going to do next and she decides she's going to go on to oxford and um get her degree Mm-hmm. And presumably become a housewife, but <laughs> or a teacher. Those were like the only two options. Yeah, yeah. You can that. either be a teacher and be unmarried, <laughs> or you can have a degree right. and get married. Oh my god, that's so funny. Yeah, which is which is the whole point of the film is that yeah. this was a time when women were starting to mm-hmm. come into themselves. The the women who fought for suffrage mm-hmm. are now the ones who are saying, "Hang on, I want to be more than just a housewife. Yeah. I I have the right to do more with my life." Mm-hmm. And and I think it's a really good film. I I enjoyed it. Um, you never quite expect what's going to happen next, right? Like, I, I mean, obviously, there's a very big deal made about sex because it was the 1960s in Britain where you don't sex does not exist. Children mm-hmm. just appear. Mm-hmm. We we do not talk about it. Yeah. And then like the fact that she gets kicked out of school because she lost her virginity, and I'm like, yeah, seriously. Um, I like that, like, you know, sex was made very important, right? But, like, the fact that this dude is, like, twice her age and this is... Nobody cared. Nobody cared. Like, it was, like, mentioned enough times for us to be, like, wait, wait, wait. But, like, not mentioned enough times for us to... For the movie to point it out as something that's not normal. You know? It was very normalized. And it was kind of, like, really making me, like, uncomfortable the entire time. You know? And, And the thing is, like, it's... It was uncomfortable in the time, too. Right. Like, Like, even the dad was like, wait, this dude must be so old. Like, what's going on? And that's another point that I didn't like about this movie is how quickly the mother and father, like, all of a sudden jumped over to, like, this David guy's side. Like, what did he do to earn you guys completely forgetting everything about caring for your daughter? You know? And just... Yeah. Yeah. They were into it right off the bat. Right off the bat. I think it's because they because their daughter was finally dating someone that they could connect to that wasn't a child mm-hmm. and so they just got overexcited yeah. which is not good it didn't make it, it, it didn't, in my mind it like wasn't believable how quickly they flipped the switch that's fair you that's know. fair yeah um i i could see how it happened mm-hmm. like i i understood it but i'm also like it yeah. was no bueno it was not good mm-hmm. um it this is a movie that doesn't do anything spectacular it kind of it rides on the story to carry you Mm -hmm. into thinking like oh this is really good Mm -hmm. there there was no incredible cinematic moments like in precious where you're Mm -hmm. you burst through the ceiling into her imaginary world there's no music that is that is sweeping you off your feet the way there is in glorious bastards yeah it's a really good i would call it a slice of life film yeah yeah um and and it's nice to just experience the story along with everybody else mm-hmm. um obviously i watch it from my modern perspective and there are moments where i'm like just just ignore your family your family right. sucks you can <laughs> yeah. do so much more just just leave yeah. them behind mm-hmm. but like that's that's me in 2020 saying yeah be powerful woman exactly i kept having to remind myself that it was from a different time right um yeah. and that these things were quite normal in that time um, and even marrying, like, an older dude marrying a younger girl was probably much more normal at that time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, 
it was more normal, but it certainly wasn't the norm. Yeah, exactly. And um, there was, like, well, also, by the way, like, I think Carrie Mulligan actually is a very good actress. I'm glad that she got nominated because mm-hmm. that was something I noticed, like, 20 minutes into the movie. I was like, I like how she acts, and um, I think she does very, you know, believable things, and I think it's cute. Anyway. Yeah, she um, gave a great performance. A hundred percent, yeah. So I'm glad she got nominated anyway. But um, one thing that really, like, annoyed me about this movie was, like, the ending, right? Like, again, like I said, I feel like a movie should leave you with, like, some sort of impact or, like, some kind of lesson learned. Or at least, like, that character mm-hmm. should learn a lesson or something, right? Um, you think. You'd think, right? And, like, I found it hilarious that, like, she went through something that would be quite traumatic for especially a 17-year-old because she turned 17 mm-hmm. in the movie, right? She, she, You literally just got manipulated and, like you know, used and abused by this, like, 35-year-old man who was cheating, like, had another family, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah. all these things. And your life got supposedly ruined. You know, you didn't go to university. You got kicked out of school. These things, right? But then, suddenly, none of that matters because she still got her diploma, went to university, the exact one that she was trying to, the the top tier. Yeah. So it's like getting kicked out of, getting kicked out of school didn't like she matter nothing. at all. Yeah. So she didn't learn anything. And then she's still like in the ending of the movie it says like, and then I started dating a boy and he asked me if I want to go to Paris. And I said yes of course as if I'd never been. And it's like Ooh. okay, one, one you're completely ignoring this traumatic thing that happened to you and you're you're pretending like you'd never been when you had sex for the first time in Paris and it was for the first person you ever loved and this person left you like right after, like all these things, right? And then number two, wait, you still got to go, like be with a guy who took you to Paris after all this and you still got to go to Oxford? So what did you learn? Nothing? Nothing mattered? Like, oh my God. But I I think that is an important lesson to take away Mm -hmm. from the film that in the end, nothing mattered because- Uh, it's a very British point of view to be tight-lipped and um, to have a thick skin and to say, well, that is a thing that happened in my mm-hmm. past life, but that's not who I am now. Right. And yeah. just move on from it. Um, and I, I mean, like, whether that's actually true or not, that's like mm-hmm. the British perspective that we get into. Sure. Yeah. Um, and it it's very it's incredibly good at placing everybody in that time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Everyone is doing exactly what you expect yeah. a character from that time to be doing. Yeah. Um, so it, even though it was made recently, it feels very archaic it does, and it does a good yeah. job of that. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly frustrating to watch. Yeah. <laughs> it's, exactly. it's worth the watch. I think that yeah, like, yeah. if, if listeners of this podcast can take anything away, I think that most of these movies are worth the watch. And this is certainly sure. on that list. I think so too. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Inglourious Bastards is worth a watch, but if you don't like ultraviolence, you're not going to like it. Right. <laughs> and education, you'll probably walk away going, well, that was an hour and a half that I was entertained. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the bare minimum you can ask for a movie. Um, I don't think it's uh, Oscar worthy though. I don't think so either. I, I I think this is uh, a bit of a token nomination where they were like, oh, we should look at the independents. Mm, yeah. I don't know. It's just, it was like, this is fine. Yeah. I was entertained. Mm-hmm. I got taken away to another place and that's good, but. Yeah. It was like a step it. higher than up in the air, but it's still, I mean, shouldn't even be considered for this list. 
Yeah. All right. Fair. <laughs> Though, like I said, I don't mind that she got nominated for Best Actress. Mm-hmm. You know, like that. I think she did an yeah. she she did an excellent job. It was it was beautifully acted the whole way through. Mm-hmm. The actors mm-hmm. did a great job. I think so too. Yeah. Um, and like it's very like all of the costumes and the set decoration are like so perfect. Mm-hmm. It's it's exactly what it would be at all points. Yeah. Um. And you learn to dislike characters that you're supposed to dislike. Like you, mm-hmm. you have to, you have to eventually dislike David and yeah. uh, Danny because mm-hmm. they are con men who just Dude, swindle. Danny, I didn't even understand because he kept giving like the main girl Jenny or whatever like these looks, and I was like, Danny, what's going on here? Are you into her too? Like it, like legitimately seemed like he was also into her. And at every step mm-hmm. of the, you know, movie, like I didn't know if they were about to do something now. Which is very confusing for me. Like, and again, <laughs> this girl is 16. Yeah. yeah. So that that just brings up a whole other group of questions where it's like, are you looking at her because she's 16 and she seems mature for her age? Or are you looking at her because you genuinely think she's an interesting person? I don't think any of those, any of those three, Danny, David, and the girlfriend, I don't yeah, think yeah. any of them went on to like have any kind of academic success. Right. I think they were just like beautiful and quick-witted and so they always got where they wanted and they didn't care about school. Right. Which is fine. There's yeah. no rule that says you have to go to yeah. post-secondary education. Yeah. But it was just like I wonder if they were also intimidated by Jenny because she's so much oh, book smarter than they are. Yeah. There was also a moment where um like David first brings her, you know, to that dinner like that music show whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And um concert. They're the concert. Concerts. Yeah. <laughs> I know you haven't been to one in 12 months. God, don't remind concerts. me. <laughs> um, and so, like, they're there, and I'm like, well, okay, I'm like, I'm curious to see what da- David's friends think about the fact that he's bringing a 16 year old to the show, right? Um, and at first, it's kind of like, well, they're not really reacting to it, whatever. And then David mm-hmm. says to her, like, oh, I want to show you so many things. And you can see, a, like, a visibly perturbed Danny and Helen. And, like, they're kind of just, like, mm, mm, you know? And then I'm, like, okay, but then what? Are you guys just, you're disgusted, but, like, you're not going to say just anything? Okay with it? Yeah, exactly. Like, it was a very... Like, we only see Danny talk about it once. With yeah, Danny. and it's only, like, once it's already, like, come to light, you know? And, like, even Helen talked about, oh, you haven't slept with him yet? You know what I mean? So, like, you can already tell, like, they've do- normalized it, like, at this point now. Yeah, Helen has it's, normalized it's it. normal to have premarital sex. But, like, not even premarital. She knows Jenny's a teenager. You know? Like, she... And then Jenny's like... Yeah. Jenny's like, I want to have sex when I'm 17. On my 17th Which birthday. Which is such... So arbitrary. Yeah, I know. And also, I loved the actual way that it was written. Because she was like, oh, you don't want to get preggers, do you? Right? And then she's like... Um, Jenny's like, no... I want to do that when I'm 17. And then I was like, wait, girl, you want to get pregnant when you're 17? any better? No, no, no. Like, she legit, she was trying to say she just wants to have sex when she's 17. But the way that it was phrased is she was saying she wants to get pregnant at 17. Yeah. And I thought it was hilarious. I could not stop laughing at that. Um, but I mean, yeah. it, like, again, of the time, it's very, It like, might have been, yeah, normal. Yeah. She she would have been pregnant and popping out babies by the time she was 20. She would not yeah, have had time to enjoy being young because no. she would have been married and having, like, being the housewife right away. 
I also still don't understand like what the whole what is David's ploy, man? Because like you find out from his wife that this is a normal thing. Um, that he does this all the time, and he then does he proposes on a regular basis yeah, too. Keeps a ring in his trunk, like oh my god, right? Um, and and the thing is like his wife was like, oh, are you by the family way? Like, are you pregnant or whatever? And it's like no and then it's like wait is that what normally happens is he just getting yep. a girl's pregnant and on top of that she's like oh you're so young you're still a child so it's like okay that doesn't seem to be a normal part of the pattern because she's shocked by that one so it's like what we know is he does this all the time he he finds other girls to cheat with and you know proposes to them sometimes he gets them pregnant and for the first time he's got a young girl like what you know <laughs> if if this was a darker movie, David yeah. would have been a serial killer. Yeah, oh, 100%. He, he would have been a Ted Something Bundy. wrong with him, yeah. And you yeah. can tell he, the, the approval he seeks even at the beginning because Jenny and Danny are talking about like the music that they are both interested in, mm-hmm. right? And David, you know, he, he pretends. He pretends like he's into that. And he's like, oh, oh, my God, absolutely. I feel the same way. But like you can tell he's pulling that out of his ass. He's just saying yeah. that to try and connect with Jenny. And it's like, who is this guy? Like, I don't understand and- him. And I think if we're going to read into the subtext mm-hmm. of it, I think David is a sociopath. Yeah. Because yeah. sociopaths don't play by the same rules as mm-hmm. the rest of society because mm-hmm. they think society's rules are arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of sociopaths who are perfectly adjusted yeah. people mm-hmm. who live within society's rules. They think mm-hmm. society's rules are stupid, yeah. but they live within them. So sociopath itself is not a bad word. Right. But this is a guy who has sociopathic tendencies Mm -hmm. that doesn't know how to deal with them Mm -hmm. because like you can say i don't care about any of your rules Mm -hmm. they don't apply to me but you you create your own rules and you make choices that that affect other people's lives and that and that allow you to function in society david is making these choices where like he got married he had a kid Mm -hmm. but he's like having affairs Mm -hmm. and he's stealing from old women Mm -hmm. and he's like a con man Mm -hmm. it's like it's like the thrill for him is just the lie. The mm-hmm. thrill for him isn't what he gets out of the lie. It's just doing the lie. Yeah, and, and you can and tell that's... right off the be- like right off the bat he's a he's a liar. Like he's a pathological liar. Like and like really, it was incredibly strange that he just pulls up and is like, "Hey, I'm I'm worried about your cello. Why yeah. don't you walk alongside my car?" I'm like, it was so uh-uh. predatory. It was so no. not okay. And None then like of this is happening. The next day is like waiting outside her school. Like yeah. Oh, right off the bat, you're uncomfortable like, because of all this like super predatory mm-hmm. behavior, and then yeah. it just, like normalizes it, which is like so gross. Yeah. yeah, yeah. the The movie definitely starts the setup as this is going to end very badly, and it's going mm. to be very difficult to watch. And then it's like super light and happy, and it didn't even like make it so bad. Like you know what I mean? Like yeah. I thought it was like gonna become you know go the way of like it's it's bad because he's older and she's young and all this stuff right and he's gonna take advantage of her and then leave her behind exactly and, and that's not even what happened because i was thinking the no. same thing i'm like a lot of these guys who go for younger women like they'll leave the woman when she gets to a certain age and then find another younger one you know that sort yeah. of thing right yeah because for them it's about the age it's not about the person exactly right and so like i was thinking that that's what was gonna happen and that's not at all what happened like it's yeah. like it's like none of that mattered None of this whole statutory rape type of thing mattered, <laughs> which was super frustrating. Like, I don't know. I, I will say it's a good bait and switch, mm-hmm. but at the same time, <laughs> why? Exactly. Why, why? Why did you bother? What was the point even is what I'm trying to ask here. You know, yeah. I don't, I wouldn't call this a coming of age movie. I really wouldn't, you know? That's fair. Yeah. I don't know. I don't even know what I would call it. <laughs> 
but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just ugh. just a mover. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, anything else you want to say about an education? Nah, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> we'll move on and we'll do um, the blind side. Oh yeah, blind side. Yeah. Did you watch this movie? Um, I Have think I, I think I've seen it quite a few years ago, but I didn't rewatch it at all. Yeah. Let me tell you, it gets played a lot in my house because oh. we love sports movies. Okay. We particularly love football. Okay. And we love Michael Orr. We think he's. Oh okay. He's he's uh, like really a genuinely good and smart football player nice okay so the blind side is a biographical sports drama film it was released november 20th 2009 now it had a wide theatrical release Mm -hmm. it was produced by broderick johnson andrew andrew kosov or Coso, and gil netter it was directed and written by john lee hancock um, it was based on the blindside evolution of the game by Michael Lewis, but it is also partially based on Michael Orr's memoirs mm-hmm. because Michael Orr is a real person. Mm-hmm. Cinematography by Alar Kivilo, edited by Mark Livolsi, and music by Carter Burwell. It runs 126 minutes. It stars Sandra Bullock, Tim McGraw, Quentin Aaron, Jay Head, Lily Collins, Ray McKinnon, Kathy Bates, Kim Dickens, and Adrian Lennox. Uh, so The Blind Side um, follows the story of a young black male who um, has not had the best situation growing up. He's basically sleeping on a man's couch, and the man manages to um, convince the board of a prestigious white Christian private school to take both his son and the boy, Michael, who's known as Big Mike. Um, Big Mike basically just tries to pass under everybody's radar. He doesn't want anyone to notice him, but he clearly struggles with taking tests. Mm-hmm. Um, he only has like two shirts and he carries everything around in a plastic bag because he doesn't have anything of his own. Um, he eventually gets noticed by the Tui family in kind of a few different ways. Um, uh, Sean Sr., notices big mike like taking popcorn after a sports game um sj notices him uh sean jr notices him because uh he's like trying to make friends with kids on the playground and sean jr is like you have to smile you look scary you're intimidating Mm -hmm. um and then leanne tui uh notices him because he's like walking alone and clearly doesn't have uh, a place to be on a cold rainy night so she decides he's going to come and have dinner with them. Um, he stays for the weekend, basically, because uh, it's Thanksgiving. And as the movie progresses, Leanne starts to decide she would much rather Michael just live with them. Why not? She, she'll she take him in as a foster kid. He's like 17. He's almost 18. There's They decide there's no purpose in adopting him um, until he wants his driver's license. And then they go through the process of becoming his official guardians. She reconnects with his mother, um, who struggled with addictions and um, poor accommodations for a long time. Um, And eventually, Michael uh, gets a place on the school football team, and he excels at something called the left tackle. I'm not going to go into the details of why the left tackle is so important 
<laughs> just know that the left tackle is very important because most quarterbacks are right-handed. So oh, they're always okay. looking to their dominant side. Mm. Um, essentially what he does is he protects the quarterback and he just, he does a really good job of it. He's, um, he's exactly all of the dimensions that are explained at the beginning of the movie. He's wide in the butt. He's got long arms. He's really big. Um, but he's just a giant teddy bear. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so they go through all the work. He decides he would like to go to college, but in order to go to college, he has to get a 2.5 GPA. So they work hard, bring his grades up. He eventually chooses his college. And the whole movie centers around the fact that Old Miss, which is um, University of Mississippi, um, sent the, they send out an investigator because they think, well, did these rich white people get this boy, train him to be a football star just so that their right. college could do well. Mm -hmm. And what it comes down to is Michael War says, well, that's where my family has gone to school. And that's where I want to go to school right. um, because they are his family. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is, this is based on a true story. Michael Orr was the left tackle for the Baltimore Ravens mm -hmm. for a long, long time. I remember after watching this movie, so he was drafted in the 2009 draft, which would have been in 2008, and this movie was mm -hmm. released in 2009. Mm -hmm. um, no, it would have happened spring of 2009. So he was drafted the year that this movie came out, mm -hmm. and so I remember like watching his career. And he, he really is an incredible player. Mm -hmm. He does his position extremely well. Right. But nobody talks about him because he's a left tackle. Nobody knows who a left tackle is. Right, right. There you go. That's your uh, your sports knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> My little football I won't get lesson. I won't get too yeah. much deeper in it. Um, the movie was nominated for Best Picture and Best Actress, and that was it. And Sandra mm. Bullock won Best Actress. Oh wow! Okay. Deserved, in my opinion. I think she did an excellent mm -hmm. job in this movie. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, what did you think of The Blind Side, Arvin? Yeah. Um. Like, I just <laughs> still can't tell if I watched this movie or if, like, I just could tell everything that it was about. I think I, I think I did watch it a long time ago. Um. Mm. Yeah. I mean, like, I think it would have been good. It would have been emotional, you know, um, at times, right? But... I think this is so. I'm of the opinion uh -huh. that sports movies are produced with the intention of them becoming big popular blockbusters yes, that the masses yeah. will watch yeah um but they're written and um and like the people behind the scenes who know the sport yeah are like no 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 this is a very niche thing that only like very few people are going to be interested in watching right um those people are my family right <laughs> we, we love sports movies i don't yeah. know why but we do right. um and so for me like the blind side holds a lot of magic because of that because yeah. I know it's a true story and because I've been able to watch that mm -hmm. athlete mm -hmm. um but at the same time it's it is genuinely an enjoyable movie yeah if you come in with absolutely no sports knowledge mm -hmm. it's not it's not a movie about sports yes yeah. you can still like it's, understand it and feel it exactly yeah. it's mm -hmm. a story about a family mm -hmm. that centers on sports right um whereas I think movies like um, Coach Carter or The Miracle are more about the sport itself mm -hmm. rather mm -hmm. than being about the person. Yep. Um, and and that's what I think Blindside does really well. It's I I, I will heap praises on it until the sun comes up. <laughs> it does a really good job of um, taking you into where Michael has been. Like you, 
obviously it's totally different slums than the ones in Precious, mm-hmm. um, but like it's the same general uh, living situation mm-hmm. um, where it's it it sucks and a lot of people are on welfare mm-hmm. and the cops are there constantly. Um, although I. <laughs> I will say there there's a moment where Michael basically runs back because he wants to find his mother because he wants to speak to his biological mother. So he goes and kind of sort of hangs out with this gang leader that he knew when he was growing up. Um, and then the gang leader makes some extremely inappropriate comments about the Tuies, mm-hmm. And uh, Michael just loses his shit mm-hmm. and just wrecks the place completely... Um, like he just beats up the gang leader. Mm-hmm. And so the next day the bang, gang leader's got like these cuts and a huge shiner. And then Leanne Tui comes up and he again makes inappropriate comments to her and she just looks at him and she's just like, I will shoot you. Oh. I have a gun in my bag and I will shoot you. And I'm friends with the prosecu- with the DA and I know I'll get off. And he was just like, Maybe I should stop messing with this family. <laughs> Cause like, dude, this family is gonna kill you. <laughs> Um, if you mess with them bro i don't know if that's problematic or uh... oh 100 yeah yeah <laughs> like through the whole movie the mm-hmm. character of leanne tui is extremely aware of her privilege yeah like yeah. she makes a comment about you're gonna ruin like this is gonna ruin a ten thousand dollar couch and then mm. you just see her stop and she's like why the fuck do i own a ten thousand dollar couch mm. why mm. is that a thing i have in my possession right so like she's the the character of Leanne Tui, I'm not I I'm not gonna pretend I know anything about the actual family, right? <laughs> um, but the the movie family is very good at recognizing their privilege, and I wouldn't say they're good at doing something with it yeah, because yeah. like adopting Michael is not necessarily the best course of action no, for them to take, yeah. but it does start to open eyes and like sure. there's a moment with um Leanne's like lunch group of old white ladies old rich white ladies yeah. and she's just like and she's trying to work through some of the stuff that she's feeling and they're all like oh open your checkbooks leanne's got a fundraiser and they're like yeah we'll put money towards it <laughs> and then they start talking about michael and like one of them makes the comment like aren't you worried about him and collins being in the same mm-hmm. roof being under the same roof mm-hmm. and leanne is just like shame on you yeah the fact that like that is the impression that they have of yeah. people who come from that mm-hmm. side of town mm-hmm. so i the film's been criticized for being a bit white savior yeah it is a little bit mm-hmm. um but because it's based on a true story it's like you can't really yes. say much about it. like yeah. there, there's only so much of the story that you can change yeah um at the end of the day michael war got to where he was because of his hard work because he mm-hmm. had a family that supported him mm-hmm. and because he worked hard at doing it mm-hmm I I, like it's the same way you and I got where we are Mm -hmm. we're here because we have a family that support us and because we put in the work Mm -hmm. so I think it's important to really acknowledge that yeah I also like I mean it seems like uh, the white savior complex is like a running theme in this this year's movies (laughs) oh my god yeah yeah (laughs) there's a lot a lot of white saviors a lot of American saviors yes 100 percent yeah yeah um I mean this is 2009 Mm -hmm. um the war in Iraq it was it was kind of it wasn't at its height this was not like the mm-hmm. most con- like most difficult time but it was at its height politically this is when we're all like okay obama you've you've been in power for a year now mm-hmm. 
let's end this war. Mm -hmm. And so he's trying to figure out how to end that. And it's like, there's a lot of that political pressure. Mm -hmm. It, yeah, 2009 was a weird, <laughs> yeah, weird a lot time. going on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, The Blind Side is, uh, again, not a movie that is particularly special as far as its mm -hmm. cinematography or its music. Mm -hmm. Um, but it does a really good job to wrap it all up, and it has a good story to carry it through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, unlike some of the other movies, I think this one definitely deserved the nomination for Best sure. Picture. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's the winner. I haven't decided yet, but mm. definitely deserve the nom. Nice. Okay. Do you want to do Avatar now? Yeah, let's do Avatar. I need to pull out my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Pulls out like a thousand pages. <laughs> yeah. Just unrolls the whole script. Oh, I have so many opinions about this movie. Yeah, so yeah. this was also my first time watching Avatar. Same. I've never seen it before. Yeah. I'm glad we watched it. Yeah. <laughs> So, Avatar is an epic science fiction film. Uh, it was released December 10th, 2009. It was produced by James Cameron and John Landau. It was directed and written by James Cameron. Cinematography by Mauro Fiore. Edited by Stephen Rivkin, John Rafua, and James Cameron. And music by James Horner. Uh, it runs 162 minutes. It stars Sam Worthington, Zoe Saldana, Stephen Lang, Sigourney Weaver, Michelle Rodriguez, Giovanni R Giovanni Ribisi, Joel David Moore, Dilip Rao, ECH Pounder, Wes Studi, and Laz Alonzo. Um, it was nominated for Best Director, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, Best Original Score, Best Sound Editing, Best Sound mis Mixing, and Best Visual Effects. Yeah. Um, it won art direction, cinematography, and visual effects, which is kind of not surprising. Mm -hmm. Avatar is the story of a U.S. Marine who takes over a position uh, left by his brother after his brother passes away on the alien world Pandora. And he has to inhabit a artificially created body called an avatar in order to communicate with the um, indigenous inhabitants of Pandora. And uh, he tries to make connections with them and learn about them. He also, because he's still fundamentally a Marine, tries to learn their um, strengths and their weaknesses and wittingly, and then eventually unwittingly um, helps the military to figure out how they're going to take down this civilization in order to, um, get at their precious unobtainium <laughs> yeah is that what it's called unobtainium it's called unobtainium which is like the lamest name i've ever heard of in my oh life oh my god it's so james cameron um <laughs> uh so the whole movie culminates in a war between the humans and the navi uh, also known as the people and uh hooray the navi win and they expel the humans except for a few that helped them mm -hmm. And um, the main character gets to stay on Pandora. He gets, he eventually has his consciousness transferred to his avatar. Mm -hmm. um, one of the key points of this film is that um, Jake Sully, the Marine, um, no longer has use of his legs. And so being an avatar gives him the use of his legs back. 
So he leaves behind the uh, human body that wasn't functioning fully and becomes a Navi entirely. <sighs> that movie didn't need to be two hours long. No, it really didn't. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know if it needed to exist. Just kidding. But um, in terms of the CGI, yes, it needed to, right? Yes. Um, you know, it, it did was... incredible things for yeah, computer animation. Exactly. Groundbreaking, right? Um, but the movie itself, I don't know. Like, <laughs> no. <It's... laughs> like, I remember there being a lot of criticisms that it was like, it was just Pocahontas in space. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. And it's, and it's also like, whether intended to be or not, there's also the metaphor for the Iraq war in there. Like, mm. it's just this idea that like, first of all, white people. Mm-hmm. friggin white people we ruin everything yeah yep. <laughs> um it's it's true yeah <laughs> um white people and americans and mm-hmm. greedy business-centered americans mm-hmm. are like the cause of all the problems in this film right which like you can expand and say is the cause of most of humanity's problems and and i like <laughs> this movie this movie shows us all the worst parts of ourselves mm-hmm. and then has a white mm-hmm. military male save everybody. Exactly. And I'm just like, why is he the savior? Yeah. And you know what's funny? Like, on that note, he he kind of, like, single-handedly, like, saves them, right? But, mm-hmm. like, it's funny because the only reason he had the upper hand to do that is because he had the information from, you know, the humans, right? He mm-hmm. had that intel knowledge. But there's no reason he couldn't have just passed on that knowledge one time. Just one time to the navi you know and then they could have done it themselves <laughs> you know what well, i mean and like... it's, it's this idea that like he had to keep his true purpose secret from them yeah like why Which I, make it worse. I understand and i don't yeah. i i yeah. get the idea that um the navi may not understand the human need for mm-hmm. the unobtainium mm-hmm. um and if the navi did they would probably say no yeah. At which point I go, okay, you you got to figure something else out. And this idea that the planet is huge, and they have to be at that one tree. I'm like, yeah. if there's so much unobtainium <laughs> in this planet, I'm sure if you had like talked and negotiated and been diplomatic, you would be able to find it. Mm-hmm. But but the idea is that like the only people that got there were military people who only care about yeah getting the getting the goods and leaving and they yeah. don't care what they leave in their wake exactly um but it's just like it's interesting because you know yes he he doesn't want to tell them because there could be these like repercussions of telling them the truth right um mm-hmm. but when in the way that you described it too in the in the little synopsis there you know he goes from like wittingly to unwittingly like you know uh, helping the military do yeah. this right and it's like funny because like so now you you have you know you've had this um sorry I cannot get my words out like you consciously okay. are aware that you have started caring about the people and that you don't want to hurt them and you still don't mention anything like you've got and ample that's... opportunities to help them out and give them some sort of like of, of a heads up and you I just... think that's an interesting parallel to district 9 where the more time that you spend with the like so-called alien people Mm -hmm. you start to understand them more and more Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and so you start to sympathize with them more and more right although i would say the like 
in the end, I in both District 9 and Avatar, mm-hmm. I don't think our main characters learned anything. No. I think yeah. they walked away from that and were like, yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Oh my god, yeah. Like they're they're still hot shit and they, they made the right choices all the way through. And yeah. at, at yeah. no point did they make any mistakes. Nope. Yep. Which is <laughs> you know, and it's like I, I don't know about District Nine, but it's like, okay, the alien mm-hmm. people, you know, the alien race, whatever, like they supported and like celebrated that person in yeah. Avatar, you know, mm-hmm. when like at least they give him like some flack like throughout the way, but like it's not well, you can't just ignore the fact that this guy was literally the cause of your problems in the first place. And now what you're gonna marry him? You're gonna mate for life and you're you're totally chill about it, you know? Which also the whole mating for life <laughs> and like we mated last night yeah. and therefore we can uh, that's a whole level of uh puritanism that I am just not ready to address. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Um, okay, also, like, the very first thing that I, like, noticed about this movie was just, like, the, like, all the symbolism for intercourse and rape, to be honest with you, it is not okay. It's so phallic. And it's so this whole prominent, movie. like, the whole thing, like, every, every, like, ten minutes, something is happening, <laughs> and it's not kosher, okay? Like, yeah, yeah, it was very weird. Yeah, I think, like, it was great that they did this for CGI, but it seemed like that was, like, the only important thing to them. Yeah, you I know? agree. It was like, like, that's that's where all the time and effort was spent, was yeah. making it look beautiful, and that was it. 100%. And they, it's like they also gave up halfway through, though, in terms of, like, making it realistic and believable. Like, you're telling me I... this, like, probably 250-pound 200, avatar just fell out of a tree, and, like, no, the tree barely moved? The leaf barely moved? The branch? Yeah. Like, what? Like... <laughs> Yeah, I don't yeah, yeah. Contrast where, like you said, in District Nine, it made it believable yeah. that it was in the real they world. It, it was just world. like yeah. we're abandoning all attempts, and yep. and part of that is they placed it on an entirely different planet, so we don't have so that yeah. we're not. Yeah, I understand if like the gravity was different. It, like, like I actually missed like if the gravity was different in this world. You know, they don't mention it really. Okay, then basically that's fine. just yeah. the atmosphere is not breathable for humans. Okay. Yeah, then there's no explanation. That's pretty much it. <laughs> yep, <laughs> a serious man. Yes. I didn't watch I it. Loved. And oh you did? Okay, sure. Oh, I loved it. Like I I bet it was good. Like you could kinda I don't know, tell, but I didn't get a chance to watch it. So again, I, mm-hmm. I keep like talking about this group of films, uh-huh. but, but because they're just so very unique yeah. in the fact that they were grouped together in this particular year. Yeah. There's a lot of auteur filmmakers. You got James Cameron, you got the Cohen brothers, you got Tarantino, um, who okay. make very specific kinds of movies. You got Lee Daniels mm-hmm. who while not an auteur filmmaker is always looking for a different story for a different perspective Mm. um you got a lot of things that were released at independent film festivals um a serious man definitely falls into that category Mm -hmm. if you like coen brothers you will like serious man Mm -hmm. that's that's really what it comes down to right okay so it is a black comedy drama film Mm -hmm. it was released october 2nd 2009 which is my birthday oh nice um it was directed produced and written by joel and ethan cohen Mm -hmm. because that's how they roll (laughs) cinematography by roger deakins edited by joel and ethan cohen Mm -hmm. music by carter burwell uh it runs 106 minutes which i think is a very reasonable length of film for sure it stars michael stuhlbarg richard kind fred melamed sari lenick aaron wolf 
Jessica McManus, Alan Mandel, Adam Arkin, George Weiner, Amy Landecker. So a serious man is, um, it's a movie, I would call it a slice of life movie, where a man tries to go through his life um, being as good as he can be, but dealing with everything like throws at him. And it has um, very, very classic Coen Brothers twists where like it does bend the reality of what's happening. So like some things, there's no way that would happen, but you're again, you're okay with it because the movie is like, just go with it. We know it's weird. We acknowledge it's weird. Just go with it. Um, which I can live with. If a movie's going to be weird, at least acknowledge that you're being weird. Um, so it follows his life as his marriage falls apart. He has to deal with his brother who has some kind of a cyst on his neck that is draining. Um, his wife wants a divorce and she wants a get so that um, she can legally and religiously marry the man that she's been having an affair with. Mm. It's not clear if it's a physical affair or just an emotional affair, but it's highly implied that it's a physical affair. And obviously an emotional one as well. Oh God, I watched this movie like two weeks ago. What else happens in it? Yeah. <laughs> um, he has, uh, Larry Gopnik is the main character. He has a son who, um, who's like basically constantly smoking pot and like owes mm -hmm. his drug dealer. Um, his daughter, Sarah is always washing her hair and always going out. He, he's trying to gain tenure at his, at the college he teaches at, um, he has a South Korean student who technically uh, tries to bribe him, but like claims he isn't trying to bribe him, but like the money wasn't there when Clive, before Clive was in the room. The tenure committee is getting these anonymous letters that are like really threatening towards him. His wife takes all of his money basically. So then he has to go to a divorce eternity. Um, and then his brother gets charged with solicitation and sodomy. Uh, and gambling in a different state. I think he went to like Oklahoma or something. So Larry is trying to get help from his um, Jewish faith. So he ends up talking to three different rabbis, or sorry, he talks to two different rabbis and is not allowed to speak to a third rabbi because he's too old, basically. Mm. Then his wife's lover dies mm. and she is, mm -hmm. she is distraught like mm -hmm. she would not be this upset if larry died mm -hmm. then larry decides he's, he's gonna at least talk to his super hot neighbor and she gets him stoned um he and this like builds into like dreams that he starts having his son danny is completely stoned at his bar mitzvah and does the whole thing somehow manages to get through the whole thing then he goes to meet that uh, rabbi that Larry never got to meet because all he does is congratulate the boys on the bar mitzvahs now and he quotes uh, Jefferson Airplane to the son and just like hands him back this radio that got confiscated like three weeks ago it's, it doesn't make sense yeah nothing's it making sense it like, does not try yeah. to make sense Okay, <laughs> and then and then um, Larry is like okay Life is starting to come together now. So he's like about to get tenure. He <laughs> mm. decides um, he decides he's going to take the bribe and change the grade. And then his doctor calls and says, you need to come in like right now to talk about your chest x-rays. Mm. Um, 
and then a tornado starts bearing down on Danny's school. And the movie ends. What? What? Yeah. What? It's so Coen Brothers. It's so frustrating. Oh my god. Uh, oh my god, I need to see this movie. <laughs> you do. It's a yeah. really I knew that really, I would like really it. I was just like leaving it till the end for like no reason. Maybe because I was like, I don't know if it'll be a contender for like the best nominee. You know what yeah, I mean? But no. like I knew that it'd be the one that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Oh, man. This is a movie where everything is placed. Every shot you Mm. look at was done in a very specific way Mm. so that you see certain specific things at all times. Um, So it's, it's incredibly detailed in that sense. And like everybody is, all of the characters are dressed exactly how they need to be. Mm which again is an outer filmmaker style um but it is it's very detailed and very detail oriented and that's part of what makes it so easy to buy into the world because you're like oh this looks like our world and then just weird things start happening and you're (laughs) just like okay now i'm along for the ride um Mm -hmm. i i i don't want to talk too long about this movie but i i loved every moment of it Mm. i was it, the humor was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very dry, mm-hmm. which is my style yeah, of humor. I love that too. Yeah. It was a very bright movie. Like there weren't, there wasn't a lot that was like happening in darkness or like um, nothing was really shrouded. Everything was mm-hmm. on display for you to see as the audience. Okay. Music is kind of neither here nor there. There's a little bit with uh, Jefferson Airplane for a bit mm-hmm. um, because Danny really likes the movies. It takes place in the '60s, so um it's it has a lot of 60s music but like it's not anything really noteworthy or anything yeah it's it not in the same way that inglorious bastards is yeah. um like you you feel for larry the whole time mm. you just this poor guy where nothing goes right for him yeah. and you just want something to go right for him and finally things start to look like they're going all right and it looks like okay it's gonna start to build and then like the tornado closes in <laughs> and he's needs to see his doctor about his checks x-rays and then the movie just ends it's it's a great film yeah definitely watch it i'm definitely 100 a contender for best picture okay absolutely cool. All right. okay i'm gonna move on this yeah. is our last movie yeah we made it arvin we did <laughs> <laughs> the hurt locker i'm so embarrassed that i didn't watch this oh my god <laughs> I think it's really funny that you didn't watch yeah. it. <laughs> it is so me, God. <laughs> um, you've been busy. You've been covering for me at work. Yes, that's true. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but we're doing literally like 11 to 12 hour days and it's making me so mad. So The Hurt Locker is a war thriller film. Um, it was released September 4th, 2008 at the Venice Film Festival, but it received a wide theatrical release in the States in 2009. So mm. that's why they decided it, it could be nominated in the 2009 awards. Right, okay. I mean, it's all made up anyways, so who cares? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was produced by Catherine Bigelow, Mark Boll, Nicholas Chartier, and Greg Shapiro. It was directed by Catherine Bigelow, written by Mark Boll, um, based on his experiences um, as a reporter riding with a... Mm. Um, with a bomb crew. Hmm. Cinematography by Barry Aykroyd, edited by Chris Innes and Bob and Bob Mirawaski. Music by Marco Beltrami and Buck Sanders. Uh, it runs 131 minutes. It stars Jeremy Renner, Anthony Mackie, Brian Garrity, Guy Pierce, Christian Camargo, 
David Morse, Ray Fines, Evangeline Lilly, Christopher Sayeg, Malcolm Barrett, and Sam Spurell. It was nominated for Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, Best Actor, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, Best Original Score, Best Sound Mixing, Best Sound Editing. Um, and, and this is the Best Picture winner. So the only ones it didn't win was Best Actor for Jeremy Renner, Best Cinematography, and Best Original Score. So it won Director, Original Screenplay, Film Editing, Sound Mixing, and Sound Editing, which are sig- like huge parts mm-hmm. of this movie. Mm-hmm. So The Hurt Locker... I think war thriller is a really good description of it, but I would also add in slice of life because unlike most movies where you get like the inciting incident Mm -hmm. and then the rising action, the climax, and then Mm -hmm. the denouement, it kind of just, it's a slow burn. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that there's like one climax, like there's a couple climaxes. Mm -hmm. Uh, In 2004, in the Iraq war, a Sergeant, William James arrives to become the new team leader of an army, a U.S. Army Explosive Ordnance Disposal Unit. Um, he replaces the previous sergeant who was killed uh, by an IED. And literally, it's like he's killed in the first five minutes, and the other two team members are dealing with that through the rest of the mm-hmm. film. I, I don't know how to put this. Um, he likes to go off on his own and do his own thing when it comes to bomb disposal. He doesn't necessarily want to follow the rules and he likes to kind of go off track. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's perfect for someone who, uh, you know, should be following orders and, you know. Uh, yeah, I know. Right. Like one, of, like partway through the film, he discovers a car full of explosives mm-hmm. and he's like, and he just takes off his bomb suit. And they're like, what the hell are you doing? And he's what? like, oh, I'm taking it off because if I get this wrong, we're all dying anyway. So at least I'm going to die comfortable. And what I'm like, the? okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You, you're a soldier in Iraq. Yeah. Defusing bombs. Yeah. Why are you such an egotistical douchebag? And why do you expect to be comfortable while you're in the middle of a war? What? Okay. Um, so pretty much it just, it follows them over, um, over about six months, mm-hmm. um, as they're like counting down the days until six months, that's well, probably closer to three, uh, as they're counting down the days until they get rotated back to the U S until their tour ends. They have like a few different adventures. They, um, encounter, um, some British, uh, military contractors and mercenaries who have like captured some, um, wanted Iraqis. Uh, and then they end up in a firefight for like six hours. Um, there's a raid on a warehouse and they discover, um, a child's body that has been stuffed with explosives. Mm -hmm. And, um, James, the sergeant believes that it's the boy that runs around the base selling DVDs. And then he tries to like go find the family. It goes very poorly for him and he has to like escape back to the base because he's an idiot. Um, there's a petrol tanker that that is detonated and um, they assume it's initially it's assumed as a suicide bombing, but then they think it's could have been a remote bombing. So then James decides that the three of them are going to go and find the insurgents, which is not in their job description and is very clearly stated in the movie by Anthony Mackie's character. Yeah. You should not be doing this. Right. Guess what happens? One of them gets injured and he gets shipped back with a shattered femur Mm. just before they go back to the States. Um, 
there's an innocent Iraqi civilian who has a bomb vest mm -hmm. strapped to him, mm -hmm. and James can't figure out how to get the vest removed and fused in time because it's on a timer. Um, unfortunately, he just he has to abandon the man who's killed, and the bomb goes off. Fortunately, everyone is like far enough apart that it's okay. Sanborn, who is Anthony Mackie's character, basically breaks down and is like, I can't. I can't do this anymore. I don't mm. want to be in war anymore. I want a son. I want a family. I want something to go back to. Mm -hmm. James returns to uh, his life with his ex-wife and his son. And he realizes that there's only one thing he likes doing, and that's fusing bombs. So he goes on another tour. Very interesting. Yes. It's a very interesting movie. Um, I would say that all of its sound wins are absolutely earned okay. sound is such a huge part of this movie um because not only is it the sounds of war it's listening to someone as they're trying to defuse a bomb because mm -hmm. like not only are you under pressure but if you make a mistake mm -hmm. you die and everybody around you dies mm -hmm. so it's a really high pressure and, and they do a really good job of using silence mm -hmm. and just ambient noise to like really make that right. clear yeah Hmm. Um, uh, the acting performances are unbelievable. Hmm. Like, I I am not the biggest Jeremy Renner fan. I've mm -hmm. seen him in a lot of stuff, and I'm like, yeah, you're good, you're mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Anthony Mackie, I absolutely adore, and he delivers such a powerful performance the whole way through. Mm -hmm. Like, they really, um, the two of them really play off each other very well. Mm -hmm. The third guy, Brian Garrity, eh, he was he was fine right he was kind of like the kid brother of the group who like oh, okay. wasn't dealing with everything super well so i i feel like the movie was like the the trio was stronger as a duo mm. but you needed to have three of them in order to give the other two like things to bond over interesting okay so i don't know if that was intentional or if that's just how it ended up but it was that's just kind of what it is it is a very good film. It is mm -hmm. a film that I think everybody should watch. And I think okay. that you need to take your own story away from it. Because mm. what I took from it was the horrors of war yeah. and um, the stress that it places on people and yeah. the total disruption of everyday life. But I think someone else with a different perspective would take a different story from it. Like, How did you feel about the main character being this character who like doesn't follow orders and like does all this stuff, you know, like, and even just like, um, like the non-reality of like, you know, or like it just being not believable mm -hmm. that the soldiers are not doing yeah. what they're supposed to Like, how do you feel about that? I, I could go with it because I knew it was a movie. Okay. Um, and because the movie wasn't asking me to believe that they were like, mm. this is who this character is he's an asshole you don't have to like him hmm. and i didn't to be perfectly yeah. honest i did not care about sergeant james i was so much more interested in uh, sergeant sanborn hmm. i like he i felt he had such a he had a way more interesting and complex um personality hmm. but i think the reason that that happened is because sergeant james is like so numb to the rest of the world for whatever reason whether yeah. he's born that way or war has turned him into like this right. numb ptsd suffering person right um he just he shuts everything else mm -hmm. out mm -hmm. and so that makes it kind of difficult to connect to him and yeah. i think that's on purpose 
Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. So, um, I think that's about all I have on the Hurt Locker. I could, I, Do you think I mean, that I, it should have won? Best picture? Let me ask you this question, Arvin. <laughs> Which movie do you think deserved best picture? Oof. Um, I think probably inglorious bastards which is so really yeah like no i mean i think precious is up there you know Mm -hmm. um i think that's a truly beautiful thing that they did there right Mm -hmm. um but i think like all the other ones were just like a bunch of like white savior complex like not learning anything um (laughs) like you know or just like things that just didn't matter like a lot of them just didn't matter and like I think when these movies came out, mm-hmm. they were seen as groundbreaking, mm-hmm. but it's been 10 years. We can now look back on those movies and go, Ugh. Yeah. So, like, you can totally tell what the theme was, which was white male savior complex. <laughs> yeah. And we look back on that and go like, oh, that, that we should have made better choices. Yeah. And at the time it was like definitely more, you know, normalized. Right. So it was like, we mm-hmm. weren't thinking about that, but even despite that, it's like, I mean, even blindside. Right. I mean, it's like, well, a sports movie with a good story and whole wholesome content has been done before. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it happens all the time. And then, what like, made it so special? Yeah, what made it so special? Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, and then you've got like the CGI movies, like those two, like District Nine and Avatar. All the props to them for the CGI. I think mm-hmm. they deserved things that they won. You know, and I think that that was and and still is groundbreaking for the year that it was released, right? Mm-hmm. Um. But I think, like, as an overall, because, like, Avatar was missing so much. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, had it just done better in, like, other categories besides the CGI, maybe that would have been a contender, you know? Yeah, Avatar leaves its story behind to spend mm -hmm. 45 minutes on on battle. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, how how can that be better than the Avengers? exactly yeah and like and so i feel like inglorious bastards to me like as per the definition of like what makes you know best film for me best picture is having like you know exceeding the the expectation for all aspects right like like the writing the screenplay the directing the the acting everything i feel like it it definitely excelled in all those categories cinematography was really good in that one too right um and then on top of that left an impact had a meaning you know what i mean like it is it's a it's an expose on you know the world war ii and though it is a a made-up story about certain you know like certain aspects of it are definitely made up right it's entertaining it still does enlighten you in some ways right or at least speaks on a true event right um Mm -hmm. things like that you know what i mean like and and it was so entertaining and it was so funny you know and there's not a lot like there's nothing in that movie that I could really pick out and be like, they should have done that better. Or like that, you know, like they, they did not meet my expectations in this category. Mm-hmm. Like it was just really well done in, in every single way, in my opinion. No, I, I right. totally get that. And, and I mean, best picture is subjective. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. Um, I'm going to ask you a second question while I tell you what my best okay. picture is. Yeah. Is there another movie that came out in 2009 that you would have nominated for best picture? Ooh, and it's okay if you don't have an answer to that one. I'll Google it while you give me your answer. <laughs> or your other thing, yeah. Um, so I think that the best picture out of this group um, was A Serious Man, actually. Okay, okay. Um, because 
it did all of the things I ask a film to do. It took me away. Mm -hmm. It told me a really good story. Mm -hmm. Kept me thinking about it. Um, and this one's like kind of ancillary. It made me laugh. Yeah. Not every movie has to make me laugh yeah. to make me love it, but this one did. Yeah. Um, it, it put together really interesting characters that um, th they didn't have. It, it really was like life. Mm -hmm. there, there wasn't that incident and that conclusion, unlike another Coen Brothers film like Fargo, mm -hmm. where it's all centered on trying to find the culprit of these murders. Mm. It was just a bit of life. Yeah. It was a bit of life magnified and it was a bit of life um, a, a little dreamified, but right. like that's all it was. And and it's funny and I liked it and I I will watch it over and over and over. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to see it and I'm sure like once I watch it I'll, I'll probably agree with you. You know, I don't know if I'll choose it as like best film in my opinion, but like yep. but I think I'll love it. I know that. You know. Yeah, you'll see the the qualities of it. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, 2009. Yeah, do you have like a list of like films? Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. looking at the here. I'll send you the Wikipedia link. I also like see Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, Sherlock! Wonderful movie. Like, I like my auteur filmmakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people loved like, that movie. Like, I didn't watch it, but people loved it. You know? Yeah, yeah. It was very, very popular. Mm -hmm. Um, Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince came mm. out in 2009. Um, Boondock Saints 2 <laughs> that movie was bad it was not a good movie um, oh, Barbie and the Three Musketeers I'm just kidding <laughs> I mean there's no like significant movies that came out in this year mm -hmm. that I would say absolutely like should have received yeah yeah should have been nominated instead or anything like that right um I, I think the selections generally were good. I didn't think there needed to be 10 of them. Right. And so I think, th I think that's where we got like um, up in the air and an education because for whatever reason they felt, Oh my God, we have to nominate 10. Let's right. find 10 movies. Um, like there's, there's plenty of good films that came out like angels and demons came out, mm -hmm. which is my preferred Dan Brown book. I like it better than Da Vinci code, but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the Da Vinci Code movie is better than the Angels and Demons movie. Okay, yeah. This um, is why I started a podcast, so I can talk about my opinions. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, and a lot of these movies I haven't even seen, but, like, wasn't Children of War, like, a good movie? Like, it was, like, I heard a lot about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember that. Like, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo came out that year. Oh, really? Okay. And Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Didn't people love that one? I think people did love that one. And then, like, <laughs> sorry, my fucking my opinions were just so weird. Also, apparently, The Hangover came out, and the Hannah Montana movie. Oh wow! See, you I know. I would nominate uh the Hannah Montana movie, and I also am trying to figure out if like, do I think a comedy movie like The Hangover, like, is it like, is that do they ever get nominated? Like, I can't. Okay, Serious Man was a comedy in a way. Yeah, you know, but um, a movie like Hangover. Like, would that ever get nominated? So this this was another reason I started this podcast, was okay. I wanted to look into, do they only nominate dramas or yeah. do they nominate comedies too? Right. Overwhelmingly, it's dramas and serious films. Okay. A comedy does get in there every now and again. Okay. Yeah. Um, if it has, like, some kind of cinematic value. Mm -hmm. So 
so I would say like not always, mm-hmm. but it's not unheard of. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, cause yeah, some of the best films that I've watched have been comedies. Exactly. Yeah. But like, I could see how they would like not do so well in like cinematography and like, you know, mm-hmm. other stuff like that. Right. Yeah. But I mean, that being said, you chose a serious man and I chose Inglorious Bastards, both of which are, are like comedies. <laughs> Inherently comedies. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, I, uh, I think this year, this was a tough year to choose films in mm-hmm. because there were just so many. Yeah. Um, and and I really get the sense that like the um the Academy nominated the movies that it nominated because they're like, oh, we need to make sure we have like a lot of independent films. Mm-hmm. And then the criticism came out that all of these films had like a white savior complex, and they're like, yeah. oh, we have to pick all of these other movies. Right. So this is this is definitely a growing time for the Academy where they were starting to be loudly criticized. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, thank you for joining me, Arbind. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. And where can people find you online? Do you have anything you want to plug? <laughs> yeah, I definitely do. Um <laughs> <laughs> I have a YouTube channel and my handle is Arbdog. That's A R B D O G. Okay. Um, and I guess if you guys want to follow me on Instagram as well, I go by the same name, Arbdog. And also Crazy. Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> same name. <laughs> Gotta yeah. have that brand consistency. hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to suck when I change it. <laughs> if. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. Thanks for listening to Nominated. You can find us on social media at Nominated Pod. Special thanks to Arbind for joining me this week. You can find her on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at A-R-B-D-O-G. Next episode, I'll have Iris back to do the movies from 1938, for real this time. We'll be discussing You Can't Take It With You, The Adventures of Robin Hood, Alexander's Ragtime Band, Boys Town, The Citadel, Four Daughters, Grand Illusion, Jezebel, Pygmalion, and Test Pilot. If anyone would like to suggest a year that doesn't have 10 movies, please send it my way. It's amazing. I also came yeah. across this really weird YouTube link um, <laughs> of like some erotic scene from some movie he's been, and it's. <laughs> I'll link it to you, okay? Um, Great, thanks. Yeah. Arbit- what? No, but it's also hilarious. I can always tell when I get to the end of the episode because I start to forget how I do things. <laughs> Wait, Beauty and the Beast came out that year too? No, Beauty and the Beast came out in 1991. Oh, but like a remake, I guess? Wait, Australian oh, that... fantasy film? What? Okay. I'm You've sorry. gone down a rabbit hole. No, I know, I know. It's just as it's like <laughs> loosely based upon the fairy tale of the same name. Oh, so okay, like so this totally is like an Australian thing. independent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's super weird. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. It stars. I actually have a note here that says just uh, read the wiki because it was. Too <laughs> Where did it go? Oh, here it is. The screen I was already on. <laughs> <laughs>